Hi, my name is Anouk Fussel. I'm co-director of Turbo Kid and Summer of 84. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 143. And on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-host so far tonight is... Wolfman Josh and Jay, why are you doing this? <laughs> Why not? So, uh, good stuff. (laughs) Well, you know, there was a quote like that, and people who have seen these movies will know what we're talking about right this minute. There was a quote like that in the first film, and so, yeah, I was expecting that to come in the second film, and I'm glad it did. But uh, Dr. Shock, Dave Becker, he will be joining us later on in the episode, everybody, so never fear, Dave will be here. Yeah, and I I anticipate great things. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, Josh, the kick it off here before we jump into some feature reviews. I'm excited to talk about these movies tonight, but uh, tell us about the Rondo Awards. I just wanted to let our listeners know about the Rondo Awards. You know, we were a write-in and got on the ballot last year, but this year we're officially on the ballot, which I, you know, I feel like is kind of an honor. The Rondo Awards mm-hmm. celebrate horror, but unlike the horror cinema awards, which we do, this is more like, um, you know, they have things like best movie and best television series, but they also focus on best Blu-ray release and a best commentary track and, uh, things like, um, you know, the best article written about horror film this year, best magazine of 2017 and horror movie podcast is up for best multimedia site. Yeah. For the Rondo Awards. <laughs> and we nice. would appreciate your votes, you know, and I, I just wanted to get that out there because, you know, I've put it on Twitter a couple of times, but we haven't been able to announce it on the show. And I'm sure there are some other shows that have a further reach than we do, but we know our listeners are dead serious about horror movies and, and are always very supportive of us. So mm-hmm. I wanted to just give out the info. If you guys email you have to email your ballot. That's the one thing that you can't enter it any other way. Um, if you email T A R A C O at AOL.com. So Terrico at AOL.com by April 8th, then you can vote for horror movie podcast in the best multimedia horror site category if you want to see all of the nominees for all of the categories you're you're welcome to vote for all of the nominees or any of the that you'd like you don't have to vote for them though you can just do one if you want at rondoaward.com that's r-o-n-d-o-a-w-a-r-d.com so Mm -hmm. just putting that out there if you if you support what we do this would be great to get us a little bit more exposure in the horror world and and bring more people to the show you love and that we love so 
Yeah, and that's nice. We're we're super honored and flattered to be nominated in the first place, right, Josh? I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's great. Okay, and then uh, what about uh, some? I I understand we got some feedback about our episode on the weird, right? Yeah, I mean, I think whenever we do these art house episodes, or maybe just things that are slightly outside the comfort zone of the quote unquote regular horror fan. I think we get a little bit nervous about that. I know I do. I know when we did our house vampires episode, I was like backtracking the entire time. I spent most of the episode apologizing that we were doing the episode, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I, I do think they're fun discussions and I think it's interesting to stretch our wings a little bit and talk about the areas of horror that we don't always discuss. You know, obviously we love our 80s slashers, but there's so much more, out there and so much quality cinema to talk about and so much more that we should educate ourselves on. And so I loved having Carl on and I was really glad to see that a lot of our listeners appreciated that episode as well. We had several big HP Lovecraft fans write in like pastor Matt and tell us how much he loves, you know, loves Lovecraft. And we had people like Vic vicious Victor write in and, and tell us <laughs> all about weird horror cinema and weird fiction. And it turns out Victor's actually an author of some weird fiction himself, but mm-hmm. it was Eddie McKenzie and the mad cytologist. It was just really cool to hear from people who were excited about that topic and a lot of our most frequent commenters too. So that was cool. And, and uh, weird Weldon <laughs> it's right there in the name. We should have known weird Weldon. That's right. Uh, he, he was very excited about this episode and, you know, he, he had some very nice comments for us and, and some really interesting insights as well. So for anyone who wants to discuss the weird with some other really smart listeners, you can head over to horrormoviepodcast.com, the comments section for episode 142. And there's some good conversation going on over there about the weird and some listeners enlightening us on things that we weren't super clear on because, we, you know, it was kind of our introduction Right. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I like that episode. I thought it was weird. It was good. To, <laughs> good time. All right, Joshua. I've been uh, dying to get into this here for a couple of weeks now. So uh, let's move into our feature review of the strangers pray at night. This place seems empty. I think everybody leaves after Labor Day. This is nice, right? There's someone else standing here. Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer. The Strangers Pray at Night is a 2018 film directed by Johannes Roberts and based on a screenplay by Brian Bertino and rewritten by Ben Katai. It stars Christina Hendricks, which was a surprise to me going in. Mm-hmm. Bailey Madison, Martin Henderson, and Emma Bellamy. And really strong cast, among others. And, you know, we had Liv Tyler in the first film. It was it was cool to see that they get they got some kind of A-list talent, I guess. And although that's not necessary for a horror film, it is nice to see in a horror film. Occasionally, it it makes you feel like, oh, they really cared about about this one. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they they cared enough to to put some some quality actors, in. you know, seriously. I mean, I think you get um, 
<laughs> I don't know what I'm saying right now. We we are recording this episode out of order, so I am getting a little loopy. Although this is the first review of the show, I'm very tired. <laughs> yeah, same. I know. <laughs> I'm with you. But basically what you have here is a sequel to The Strangers. It is not a direct sequel, although it could be. I mean, it, for all we know, it could pick up um, very nearly after the first one ends. But it does not. Yeah utilize any of the same protagonists but the antagonists are the same right Right. and in this film you have a family who is staying at kind of a summer mobile home park resort Mm -hmm. and they are going there to get away from things and i guess their their family members own the place so they're supposed to be rolling in late at night from their road trip and they're going to uh, you know arrive late but get the key from the clubhouse and then meet up with their family in the morning not too far after arriving they realize things are amiss they're in their relatives have bitten the big one and uh, the strangers are after them and so mm-hmm. it's an interesting twist on the original film this has been a very controversial and divisive film. I absolutely understand why. Really good. Hand, I'm so glad because I don't understand why. Because I don't understand okay. why everybody didn't love it as much as, or nearly as much as they love the first one. But go ahead. Sorry. Just interjecting. No, I mean, I, I mean, let's jump into it, Jay. I, I think because in, in some ways they're doing the exact same thing. In other ways, they're doing something very different with the same characters. And I think that's fun to expand the world a little bit. But I think it is that expansion uh, that is one of the complaints about the movie. Well, it, you know, so I, I, let me let me ahead. try to characterize what you're. Um, so are you saying because yeah, in the first film. The Strangers, which, by the way, is still one of the, the scariest films of the aughts, I think. In, yeah, in that absolutely. film, they, they toy a lot with their victims. I mean, there's just a lot of, like, bump in the night kind of stuff, trying to scare them that way. In this film, it's almost like you have three slasher killers, and, and they engage yeah. a lot more. So are you saying, or are the, the critics of this film saying... That, that, yeah, they didn't act like that before, but now they're engaged more and attacking. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess broadly what I would say that I understand what the critics of the film might be saying who were fans of the original are that the killers don't act in necessarily the same way. The world is expanded because it doesn't have the same... Um, home invasion siege narrative feel it does play out more like a typical slasher film Mm -hmm. and the first film is very nihilistic and i don't feel like the second movie is i mean we do get that line that we mentioned at the top of the show Mm -hmm. but it plays out as i said this kind of like a final girl survivor girl typical slasher movie the first movie is not like that the f- and, and we really can't discuss exactly why what the difference is without getting into spoilers for both movies. Mm-hmm. But I do think that that's the big complaint, that it kind of, in some ways, you could argue it disrespects the nihilism of the original film. Okay, okay. You know? Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit then, because I like this, this discussion. So in, in the first film, to me, it, yeah, they were 
they were about terrorizing and and it was very bleak and very hopeless and helpless and in in the sequel um they're a little more engaged they're a little more active they still act like weirdos i think i mean they still act kind of bizarre but 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 they are engaging a little more and so to me i mean obviously if since this is a sequel this is happening after the events of the first film we don't know how long after but to me it's like well maybe they've stepped up their game maybe these characters these three killers have gotten a taste for killing now and they really enjoy it and and they're like turning up the heat so to speak so so that's kind of yeah, what I did with end, that. At the end of the first movie, they say the next one will be easier or something like that, right? That's kind of one of the lines at the end of the first Strangers. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, exactly. Great get, point. I get what you're saying there. It's not really addressing what I think the primary concern actually okay, is. Okay, so let's get to that part then, because I agree with you there. Um, because this film, Pray at Night, it it does have some serious brutality to it. It's very brutal in parts mm-hmm. and, and very bleak in parts. And in in other parts, um, I was kind of surprised. Um, and I'm not I'm not referring to any particular section of the film. I'm talking about the film overall, and I'm talking broadly here because I don't want to even hint at any type of spoilers. But um, it was a little more hopeful. And and we the the victims quote unquote are more of the fighter type in this right and 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 you know I mean the thing Which is I think it is fine for this movie I think it's a great one off slasher movie right I think it's a great one off horror film but I think when you're following the legacy of what that first movie did it does seem to fly in the face of what made that movie so terrifying because the other movie is based in reality in a in a different way where it just says if this really happened to you it's lights out you know what i mean but, well yes that's that's kind of not what you get here you get characters who like you say are fighters you know that's true but i don't feel like I mean, honestly, as much as I love the first film and as great as it is, I I feel like if we got the exact same scenario where the victims were just just that victims and it was just like a home invasion knocking on the outside of the house thing, I I think that kind of would have been boring. And I I know that in sequels, oftentimes we have to up the stakes and, and it's the same but different. There's that balance. But in this one... What I liked about it is, you know, not every victim that a killer would encounter would just like lay down and die, you know. Right. So so I like that, too. You've got different different characters that they're engaging with. And they've also changed since we've seen them last because they're a little more um, aggressive, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I know that Brian Bertino had his own screenplay for this and that when when Johannes Roberts came in, he didn't really like what Bertino had done and wanted to change it. And I I think he did a lot of cool things here. Like I said, I think if this was just a standalone, we'd be saying, yes, this is this is something we don't see anymore. This is a really great modern slasher movie. Um but I think Bertino is just a little more sophisticated, I guess, I think as a storyteller. And I think what he was doing, I'm surprised you like this more, to be honest, because I think that the first one does a lot of what you typically 
ascribe to in horror, you know, which is really the reality of the situation, I guess. That's that's where I think fans are upset. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, did I say at some point I liked it more? I mean, it is I, I do love it. I I, I think it's okay. a worthy follow up. Um, it is different, as you've said, and so it has a lot more action than the first one. Still brutal, but not as bleak and not as dark as the first one, which is something I appreciate. You may not have said that. I was surprised. I just, I think I was just surprised because I know you weren't a fan of 47 meters down necessarily. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, but that's, that's apples and oranges, right? I mean, that, that film was just kind of bad. And as far as I was concerned, but sure, sure. I just, I guess I, I guess I anticipated what I thought your response would be to this film, knowing your taste in horror being bleak. Right. And, yeah, I mean, realistic and not having loved this director's previous work. I just thought, oh, I bet Jay's going to come in <laughs> on this stance. But I am a, a Ben Kitai or Ben Kitai fan. I do like that dude. And I, I do like okay. his work. Um, so, you know, he was the other uh, writer of the screenplay. But the thing is, I, I'm not, I should admit here, there were moments where I was very disapproving and that that I rolled my eyes and I'm like, come on. No. Like, (laughs) so like I did have a couple of those moments, but I think overall added up, it it felt pretty fearsome to me. And, and, and and my favorite aspect, Josh was, I love how it's, it, it could be read metaphorically for the, the dismantling of the nuclear family. I think in that way, this film looks a lot like the witch in terms of, you know, you've got these beings on the outside just tearing apart family one mem- one member at a time, taking them down from this yeah. evil force on the outside. And I do like that because I, I feel like, um, you know, as a, a person who um, is a, a family man and so forth, I mean, I feel like there is we we the nuclear family has has changed uh, as we as we've seen it and like i don't think there are that many um i don't know i think the family structure or that family concept is under attack in our world today and i feel like this this film kind of illustrates it i like that and i think that's an interesting take on the movie for mm-hmm. sure and you know and i think just like any slasher the the adults let you down or aren't around and the kids have to kind of step up their game and i Mm -hmm. enjoy that aspect of it um i thought it's strange that they didn't use the same cast as well i mean i you know we see that obviously with jason Voorhees and um Mm -hmm. yeah michael myers and everyone else but why not why not use the same folks i don't know i thought that was a weird choice but i felt like the, the man in the mask was great in this film Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed his performance and his character. I felt like Pinup Girl was really bad in this one, and yeah, or just un- so underutilized. Like, what's the point of even having her in there? I feel like there must have been a scene or three where she was cut out of the movie. I didn't. I think I I think that's disappointing too. Just when you have these, I think as horror fans, we're used to the killers becoming these iconic characters as the franchise continues and I just didn't feel the weight of their characters like I wanted to 
to some degree. Yeah. Um, they also had two really stupid jump scares from those two characters <laughs> that were really bad. Like some of the worst stuff in the movie where these two kind of jump scare moments from Dollface and Pinup Girl. But overall, I loved the vibe. I loved the setting. I loved the music. Love the music and the soundtrack. Love the the look of Man in the Mask. Mm-hmm. And I liked the cast. It took me a little while to get into the character of Luke. I, I felt he was just kind of bland at first, but mm-hmm. he won me over as it went. And with Bailey Madison, who played Kinsey, she is in these uh, horse movies that my kids watch on Netflix sometimes <laughs> that I, you know, it's like the kind of thing where I didn't realize they started it. And <laughs> yeah, like otherwise I wouldn't have let them watch it if they had asked me, but I come into the room and they're watching some terrible, like, made for TV horse movie. Yeah. And uh, she was in one of them. So that's all I could think about the whole time was her in, in this horse movie. Oh, I want to look up and see what it was called. It was so yeah. bad. What was that? Flicka two. Um, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> right. Oh, a, a cowgirl's story on Netflix. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, don't watch that. If you're <laughs> a fan of young Bailey Madison, otherwise she did a pretty good job here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't get that other character out of my head. Um, yeah. I thought there were some great set horror set pieces. I really, of course, the pool scene has been talked about a lot. I thought that was really cool. Oh, gorgeous. Incredible uh, scene. I loved everything to do with the trucks and the cars. I thought those scenes played out really well, except mm-hmm. there's one scene that's just a straight up rip off of Scream and it's done worse than Scream. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of a bummer to see something that's basically the same scene, but done worse, you know, uh, that's yeah. bad, but um, I get you. Most of the truck and car scenes I thought were really great, and there's a there's a car wreck moment that just destroys a vehicle, and you're like, "Holy cow!" Like that is what would really happen. That looks real. Like that's a real <laughs> practical yes. stunt. Yes. <laughs> it didn't feel like you know the distance of some bad CGI car crash. You're like, "Wow, mm-hmm. that was intense." And I loved all of that. But I, you know, I, and I liked the movie generally. I thought it was a good slasher. I just kind of am coming on to, to speak for the fans that I know there were a lot of people let down. And the only th- I have, it's a spoiler. What I think is the ultimate reason why. So I'm not going to say now, but mm-hmm. um, other than that, I thought this is a great modern slasher. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. A lot of things you just said, I, I agree. Um, like I agree with pinup girl. I could have seen a lot more from her. I did love uh, Dollface in this movie. I think that mm-hmm. was pretty interesting. And and a big question I had going into this film is, okay, will we will we see under their masks this time? And so yeah. that that question I won't I won't reveal in case I can tempt people to go just to find that out. <laughs> just watch it for that alone, just to see what happens there. And um, you know the. I I guess that's all I can say about that. But the other thing I was going to mention is, uh, so our our buddy, uh, the Boogie Brand, right? Uh, Yeah. On Twitter, he said, saw The Strangers Pray at Night. Direction, acting, writing, music, cinematography, form, stellar horror film. He said, it's the rare sequel that surpasses the original. So he felt like it, it was even better than the original. He said, see it in the theater. The pool scene alone is worth admission and uh, buy it to support horror. You know, he gives it a 9.5 out of 10. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really feel the same way that he does on 
like all of it up to the rating even i mean i'm a 9.5 out, out of 10 on this one too i didn't wow. make any secrets about that because i just i i loved it now I, there are yes i mean there are like when i walked away there were a couple things that really bugged me i'm like man i wish they would come on you know like there are a couple like disappointments where i felt like it was a little um what's the word uh, toothless uh, it's like come on stick to your guns and be ferocious the whole time because this is a brutal movie at times there's one kill I'll just kind of describe um, we we see it from a high angle looking down and yeah. and I think that's devastating that's a devastating kill so upsetting and and when yeah. you when you wrap your mind around that like what's going on and a few of these kill scenes and and like the reality of it and the weight of it like you know uh, uh, you get this little family uh, mother father and son and daughter you know seeing something happen like that i mean that's oh, witnessing witnessing like horrific acts done to their family members is just i, I don't know it's chilling this movie scared me josh i was actually i don't get scared very often in horror movies but I was sinking down into my seat, like nestling into it. I felt myself like pushing back into my seat. Like I, I was, um, I had a lot of anxiety and I felt afraid and it just so happened. Coincidentally, I saw this in the theater. Um, there was a girl from my workplace. Uh, she and a whole bunch of her friends had gone to see it too. And the next day, I'm like, well, what'd you think? You know, because I didn't even know she was a horror fan. And she's like, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was like, I was so, I was so offended. Like, I, I can't, I am genuinely shocked when people tell me they don't love this. Because I, I thought, going into it, Josh, I wasn't expecting much. I'm like, how could this possibly even come close to the first one? The first one was so great. But I, I do think it's a worthy sequel. So I'm 9.5 out of 10. I say see it in the theater. This is a buy for me. But what do you say, Josh? <sighs> well, I think if you like slashers and you're into the idea of a modern slasher, we don't have too many great ones. And so I think as modern slashers go, this is one of the best out there. And so I can support it on that level. I would say probably in the last 10 years, this is in the top 10 slashers. And for me, I think it does a little bit of violence to the original film. It doesn't, I don't think it honors the original film. And so there's part of me that just wishes they could be separate because I do think that the original movie was so terrifying and so iconic. And I don't feel like the characters, although they're rounded out a little bit more to make them a little bit more, you know, to, I guess, support that iconography and expand it. I feel like they lose a lot in this terms of um, kind of doing, yeah, honor to the original film. So that's a bummer to me. I, you know, it's not a huge deal, but I think taken on its own, I think this is a decent slasher. I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. I'd say see it in the theater and I'd probably call it a rental. I think um, this would be a great movie to see with an audience. I had a terrifying experience because I saw this in the theater with one other guy. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a mask on his head? It's scary. That's my least favorite way to see a movie 
is alone in a theater with one other person. One time we movie. did that un- unwittingly, right? I didn't even know it was you. One time we saw a movie like that, didn't we? We were in a different yeah. spot. <laughs> Paranormal Activity 5, which we will maybe bring up later on the show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we saw in the same in the same theater. Um, this is it's just scary. Because, you know, we've had these sh- all, all these shootings and violence recently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes people who go to horror movies are creeps. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and, and I'm alone in this theater with this one other dude, and we're just eyeballing each other like, don't do anything weird. And I won't <laughs> do anything weird. And we were on the opposite ends. We were on the far ends of the same row. So on one end is him, and on the other end is me. And I swear the whole movie as terrifying things are happening, we're just like looking at each other, like stay in your seat, <laughs> stay right there. <laughs> See, no, Josh, that's, so it, what, that's why you there should was do a whole metal level of terror for me during this movie. <laughs> that's why you should do the top back row where your back's against the wall. So you can be aware of what's oh, going man. on. Then right. People start shooting. You're stuck. There's no way out. I like being close to them. then the only other movie I've had that was this terrifying of a theater experience was it follows. There was a guy sitting directly behind me and I could hear his feet moving and him breathing the whole time. Oh no. That, that freaked me out. I couldn't uh, too. have done that. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. So we, we did get a question about this one, but, but you're yeah. saying, so you say 7.5, see it in the theater, otherwise rent it. Um, so Anna, Anna dreadful, not, not yeah. Shanny dreadful. Um, this right. is, Anna Anna from Portugal. Mm -hmm. Anna Dreadful wrote um, on Twitter, my experience watching The Strangers last night was dreadful. People were laughing and clapping the whole time. People I've asked say this is normal in horror movies. Do you guys think this behavior is specific to horror because people disregard, disrespect the genre? So, Josh, help me understand exactly what, what her experience was i don't i don't think i understand so are, is she saying that they were laughing and clapping like um they like they were making fun of the film or were they kind of giddy and excited about what they were seeing that's what i don't understand well now there's a couple things number one this oh man there's some dangerous ground i'm treading here with this, these comments i'm making that are pretty <laughs> broad okay. but i just realized this so as you were reading this i remember seeing this comment it came up on twitter right is mm-hmm. that correct yes yes that's correct so i'd seen this before so anna is from portugal from lisbon and she is living in washington dc right now for the first time in the united states as i understand it wow you know so, you know a lot about anna well, yeah, I do. Um, I'm spying on her. I'm, 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 uh, I'm the man with the mask outside your window. Be careful. Um, no, you know, just inter- interacting with our listeners on on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, okay, so there's a couple of things here. Number one, I do think that there's a lot of nervous laughter in horror films, right. and I think I don't think it's always because they're disrespecting. I think oftentimes it's because they're scared. Right. And I think either it's a natural reaction coming out because they can't help it like an involuntary kind of laughter type Mm -hmm. of a situation. Right. Or I think there's also the thing where people kind of cover, try to pretend they're not scared by laughing at it or making fun of it. I saw this a lot. I worked at a haunted house in high school for a little while. I've talked about that a lot and you'd get these guys 
like these big jock guys coming through who wanted to seem like they were tough in front of their girlfriends or whatever. And every time they would get scared, they would, they would just walk through and try to not be scared the whole time. And if they did get scared, they'd either get angry or laugh because they just wanted to pretend that they were tough, you know? And I think that happens in horror movies. Uh, I do too. Um, And then, and then also I just think there might be differences and Willis Wheeler can speak to this in the demographic of horror movie viewers in Washington, DC, as opposed to Portugal. That's I'll leave it at that. But I think there are certain audiences in the United States. I think in general, we're probably more vocal, but I think DC maybe has a higher <laughs> contingency of vocal theater goers as well. well in other areas. <laughs> I, I see. Well, let me give you an example. So when I attended, um, let's see, when I saw don't breathe right i saw that with um some salt lake city hmp listeners which is very fun Mm -hmm. and andy from movie podcast weekly uh was with me and for whatever reason i I mean for me i think when when a when a horror movie goes pretty far and you're like i can't i can't believe they're doing this right now right like like let's just say turkey based it right so when when things go pretty far it 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 amuses me and not in a sicko way, but just kind of in a, Oh no, they didn't. They did. I can't believe they just did that. Right. And I get like tickled by it, you know? So, so Andy and I laughed and giggled a lot through, through don't breathe. And Andy said it was cause he was scared and I just thought it was awesome. So that made me laugh a lot. But, yeah. it, but- I, rem- I remember seeing grindhouse in the theater and I saw it with a bunch of filmmakers from our area all went and saw this a bunch of us didn't know that the other ones were going to be there, but it ended up being like five to six local filmmakers. And we all just sat by each other and we were laughing our heads off the entire time. Obviously that's a horror comedy. So you're meant to laugh at, at some points, but a lot of our, we were laughing as I can't believe I'm seeing this right now. Like, I can't believe this is what's on screen. Right. So I think there's that element, but, I, but also I remember one of my, least favorite theater experiences. So I can't relate to what Anna's saying here to some degree was paranormal activity because I remember sitting behind me, there were like 15, 15 year old girls, <laughs> like a whole row of young girls and they could not stop giggling the entire time, but they were terrified, right? They, they were giggling because they just were so scared. They didn't know what to do with those feelings. Right. You know? Right. So I think that's part of it too. That but wrote, I guess what I would say to Anne is I don't think any of it is disrespecting the genre. I don't think any of it at least is intended to. I think it's all some kind of emotional reaction to what's viscerally happening to the audience member on screen, whether it's a, a, a crowd that likes to talk to the screen or a crowd that's trying to cover up for being terrified or one who just can't help themselves because they're so terrified. Yeah. I think it's all good. I think it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's just going to the theater. That's just part of going to the theater. And some people don't like that, and I get that. But I, there are certain films, and I think a, a kind of a big studio film like this is is one where that's kind of the experience I'm going for. To be honest, you know. Well, I remember like so. Roger Ebert supposedly his all time, the movie that he hated the worst of all movies was um, yeah. it was uh, <laughs> the the other name the other title for it's Day of the Woman. Why why do I know? I spit on your grave, right? Okay. And and when he saw the the original of that in the theater, he was so uh, he was not just offended by what was on screen, but he was also almost more offended. You can read his review by the way people were reacting in the theater because they were 
amused by this. And and I think that there can be some troubling reactions when you're watching a horror film as well. Like um like for example, like if I were sitting in a horror film screening and you know, if if it were like a, a sexual assault scene or something and somebody was laughing about that, then I would be really bugged. I mean, that would annoy me and I I, I would think that was like offensive. Because, yeah. because like, that's just, on no level whatsoever would that be funny for me. But, like, if you have, like, a person beheaded and then their head, like, rolls and then, you know, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's just weird, right? So, it's like, yeah. that's crazy. Well, I think there's some, there are some films also that deal in dark comedy. And I think there are some audiences who don't get that. And so... I remember when I saw Nightcrawler, that was a situation where me and Andy from Movie Podcast Weekly that you just mentioned, we were in the theater with each other and didn't know it. And we were the only two sickos the whole movie who were laughing out loud through the whole movie. And everyone around us was disgusted that we kept laughing. <laughs> but it was just some really, really dark comedy in that film. you know? Right, right. And other, everyone else was like, you guys are gross. Like, this is a disturbing <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, but that just happens too. I guess there also, also, I guess there are certain cases where people are laughing at the film. I just can't believe that that would have been the case with Strangers Pray at Night. Maybe Same. it is, but I remember we went to that revival screen of Friday the 13th uh, during the <laughs> movie podcast network meetup event in October. And I know Allison with a Y and Drew and Joel Robertson from Retro Movie Geek, they were all very upset that the audience there was giggling at Friday the 13th because <laughs> in that case they thought the writing and acting was bad or the makeup effects were bad and so they were literally laughing at the movie I think to some degree which didn't bother me I kind of thought it was fun again it's a retro screening and that kind of fit I don't know my expectation for it but they were offended and I get that too you know that's yeah you know the respect was not being shown this iconic film. Yeah, they did feel it was disrespectful. But like, for example, one last thing for um, Anna Dreadful here. Um, I think in The Strangers Pray at Night specifically, I did have, I was kind of giggling at times. But I think in my case, it was because I was scared and amused at what I was seeing. But I did feel a little conflicted about that. I did feel like, why, why am I laughing? I mean, this is awful. Like, what we're witnessing is awful. Like the dregs of humanity happening right now. And, um, you know, that's yeah. terrible stuff. And I'm like giggling at it like an idiot. And, but, you know, so, but I'm with you, Josh. I think it was probably a result of some sort of emotional, visceral, visceral reaction on some level. But. Well, sorry, Anna. Let us know if uh, that keeps happening in your Washington, D.C. screenings that you go to. <laughs> and I'm not actually stalking you, just to be completely clear. I, I do want to really quickly give a spoiler for this movie. So if is it okay, Jay, now if people tune out for the next mm -hmm. 30 seconds? Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. okay so yeah. I'm starting spoilers now. I think it's unfortunate in a movie where the original all of the protagonists die and all the antagonists live to then switch that first immediately for the sequel and have all of these antagonists die. And I think that reverses the nihilism that's in the original film it just makes another typical slasher movie. And I think that's what's so terrifying about the original movie that they just kill all of these actors and we're just left with nothing to feel good about. I that's to me the terror of the strangers. That's why it is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. And 
I just think this loses all of that strength and it just becomes a typical slasher, which again, I like a modern slasher, but man, that just robbed it of all of its power in my mind. And also we've already mentioned pinup girl, but just that's, she's barely in the movie and then that's how quickly she goes out and that's it. That's like, I don't know. We waited this whole, this long for a sequel. I'd love like to see a little bit more out of the, no, frankly, I'd have liked to see them all survive and kill everybody. You know, <laughs> see, Just I was because that's the, that's what these movies that's what the original movie is, and that's why it's a classic. I think had had they killed off two point five of the killers in the original, it wouldn't be a classic. Honestly, I think it would just be another slasher home invasion movie. Well, I I think what bothered me most about this one was um that the brother that the brother survived. You know, like when he like I thought the pool scene was it for him. And 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 that really, I think, undercut what what we got in that scene because that scene was very, very upsetting and and beautiful and horrifying. It reminded me a lot of um that that slasher film Pieces, which is a great film. There's a there's a stabbing in a waterbed, like, like and 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 it's uh, it sounds weird to describe it, but it's it's very artistically done. And um yeah. Any, anyways, it looks incredible, and that's kind of how this was. But yeah, the fact that he that he made it through that just really, I'm like, come on, guys, come on. But it's the strangers; you're not supposed to survive, and they are supposed to leave at the end. And that's what's so scary about the original. Anyway, I think that's why everyone's mad about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're they're annoyed that Dollface and Pinup Girl die, and that Kinsey lives. You know, that's not what they what you sign up for for a Stranger sequel, probably. So. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I get it. All right, so that's our review of The Strangers Pray at Night. I hope you all feel that we gave it its due. Let us know what you think in the show notes for this episode. Okay, and at this point, let's move into our feature review of Unsane. Your life slips away from you, you know? Changing your phone number and your email becomes normal. Taking out a restraining order, normal. Relocating to another city, normal. But you still see your stalker everywhere? Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe. Hey, Josh, with Unsane, we have a Steven Soderbergh horror film. And and I say horror very gently, but it's still, you know, I still think it's a horror film. Uh, but what did you think about that when you saw that there is a Steven Soderbergh horror film in the theaters right now? Thrilled, and I'm so sad that I didn't see it. So sad. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> okay. But this on your list, it sounds like. You're looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely. I was, I was trying to see it for this one, but I just couldn't get it done. Okay. No no sweat. Well, no, I, I'm a huge fan of Soderbergh. I, I think he is one of our most interesting directors. We're going to talk about Argento later, a guy who just does not give a, a wit for traditional narrative. And I think Soderbergh is another guy who is more interested in the film experiment than anything else. He wants to try new things. He wants to do things that haven't been done and I think he always does something interesting, even if it's not objectively good. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. That's why I, that's why I want to see it. I get you. Okay. Well, I mean, did you see the trailer for it? Let's start there. No, I don't. I try to avoid trailers for anything I know I'm going to see. So if I hear about a movie 
like the, like the strangers pray at night, I know I'm for sure going to see it. So I avoid everything right now. If it's something that I'm curious about whether or not I'll see it, that's when I start watching. trailers. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, okay. Then I'll, I'll keep it, you know, since you, since you've even avoided the, the trail, I'll keep this very, I mean, I, I don't go into spoilers anyway, but oh, no, that's okay. I'll keep that's it right, like right. the premise really mild and everything. So it, it stars Claire Foy and, uh, most people probably know her from The Crown, right? I mean, she's a very good actress. I like her a lot. And um, basically, she's this this lady who has moved. She's moved pretty far from her home because she had like a, a bad experience. Like there was a an ex boyfriend who's kind of a stalker and really intense. And so she's like moved from home, gotten a new job in a new city, and she has. She has some depression issues and maybe a little, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder from, you know, that stalker situation, which is why she moved away. And so, you know, because she has depression, she ends up going and just talking to this um, this therapist. And uh, when she, you know, fills out the paperwork and everything, she ends up getting involuntarily committed to this mental institution. Yes, they, um, they do... Yeah, she's stuck in there, and they do not want to let her out. And so, what what happens to you as the viewer? And this is this is all the premise is you're not a hundred percent sure. It's like, okay, why is this happening? How did this happen? And is she actually, you know, do we have an unreliable narrator, or or you know, it's not narrated, but like, it, are we really seeing what's happening, or are we getting her skewed perception? Because we don't really know if she is insane or unsane or whatever. So we don't really know what happens. And, right. and from there, like many, many horror films, it kind of, it slowly and gradually builds and gets worse. Now I will tell people up front for the horror community out there, this is mostly, and I mean mostly a drama. Okay. So it's drama first for sure. And it's um, a mystery. Second, it's a thriller. And then it does it does pass over into the horror territory, so I, I I can call it a horror film and feel comfortable with that. But I'm just saying it is largely a drama. So, um, Josh, what what are you thinking so far about what you've heard? I, I mean, that is a terrifying notion. That's something that I always worry about myself. Like, <laughs> me too. Me too. Something. It's it's one of those not that specific fear, but just the idea of not being able to convince anyone that you're not crazy sounds scary, so scary to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because the more you would try to convince someone that you're not crazy, the crazier you look. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and that's why. I mean, one flew over cuckoo's nest. I I have trouble watching that film. I mean, it really kind of disturbs me because mm-hmm. I I do have a, an unrealistic, irrational fear. Of, of getting locked up in a, men- a mental institution where they're like forcing medicine on you and, you know, they strap you down if you get too out of sorts. And um, anyway, horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And uh, so this yeah. is this is that kind of movie. And I think it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's very well done. Obviously, Steven Soderbergh is a great filmmaker. Now, I remember thinking when I first saw it, I'm like... Um, Wow, some of this looks a little little grainy. You know, it looks a little rough. And I'm like, maybe Soderbergh was going for that that indie indie horror film look. Maybe he was just trying to keep it, right. you know, raw. 
But and then I learned that it was shot uh, mostly on what an iPhone Seven Plus, whatever that is. Oh wow! So yeah, yeah. the whole thing's shot on iPhone. And, and that's not to that's say it's shoddy. The second movie to get a wide release shot on an iPhone. Yeah, it was, so far after Tangerine. Yeah, Tangerine, and then this one. Yeah. And, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, and so you know, having having learned that, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe that's why it looked like that. Um, which it wasn't horrible or anything, so I don't want people to think that. And, and it doesn't. It's not like a shaky cam film either. But. Right. But yeah, it's it's good. So this is Unsane is something that I would um I would definitely uh, recommend to people. I I enjoyed it, but but it's again it's for somebody who's who's okay with going into like a mostly a drama, but it gets there into horror a little bit and passes into it. So that that's kind of what you have there. I think um when I rated this on a movie podcast weekly, I, I was like a seven. Seven out of ten. I said see it in the theater to support, you know, support a horror film. But um otherwise this is a rental. This is a really good like red box rental. So okay. yeah, yeah. So I hope I hope you can get to it, Josh. But I think oh, it's I'm worth for your sure time. gonna watch it, yeah. Okay. I love Soderbergh, man. Anything bubble, like his weirdest stuff I'm a huge fan of. So <laughs> Oh yeah, bubble is one of my favorites of his, actually. Yeah. I agree, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's our feature review of Unsane. I'm sure we'll be talking about this more in the future when when Josh sees it. So listeners out there, if you're interested and you haven't seen it yet, make sure you see it too so then we can get into spoilers next time. Okay, Josh. At this point, I've been really excited about this. Josh, let's move into our feature review of Pie Wacket. It's an amazing book. Thank you. But I just wish maybe you could write a little bit more about rituals. Just careful what you believe in. Yeah. I love this part. I don't think the devil's role is to create evil, rather to expose the evil in the hearts of men by challenging the loyalty to God. That's cool. I think our parents will always be our parents. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we're supposed to look up to them, but they're really just people, right? What's wrong? You tell me. Ever since your father died, you've been into that occult crap. It makes me feel better, and my friends... Your friends are losers, Leah, like you're becoming. Every time I look at you, I see your father's face. God, I wish I could just wipe it off. I wish you were dead! Darkness, I charge you with this sign. Mother in the night are mine. I invite you to come. Piwacket is a 2018 film directed by Adam McDonald, also written by Adam McDonald. Uh, I know Jay, you're a big Adam McDonald fan from his film Backcountry, made your top ten list a few years back. I love that. Yeah, and uh, here he is again, this time with doing kind of a angsty teenage heavy metal horror film. Basically, is what we have here. And I've, I've mentioned in the last episode how much I loved the alternate poster for Pie Wacket. I don't know if I mm-hmm. if you remember that, but I do. Uh, it's the same person, Gene uh, D'Angelo, who did the poster for They Remain, which I love. And I just, she's kind of blowing me away. I'm really loving her style. So uh, again, shout out to Gene D'Angelo. But um, Adam McDonald, yeah, interesting director. This is not at all the type of film I would have expected to see from him after Backcountry. Mm-hmm. In terms of just, uh, I don't know, I guess dealing with this younger character as the main character after having done with more mature 
relationships in the first film. But I, I do enjoy the setup of the film, which is basically this character, Leah, played by Nicole Munoz. Mm-hmm. And... Um, her mother played by Lori Holden of the walking dead fame. Basically they, after following the death of her father, just have to get out of town. So they move out to the woods, you know, and uh, Leah, the younger character is pretty upset because all of her friends are back in the city and she's now, you know, kind of distant from them. And she's having that typical teenage. I hate, you you're ruining my life kind of reaction to her mom, but she takes it a step further and decides to try to kill her mom via a cult ritual. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's similar, I guess, to another film we'll be discussing later with Veronica. Uh, this occult ritual kind of goes haywire and gets out of her control. And now she's in a very, precarious situation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really like the aesthetics of this film. I love the setting. I like Lori Holden a lot. I like Nicole Munoz, but, um, but I did think she was a little bit weak for a lead. And I don't know if she carried the film enough for me. And I wasn't sure if it was her or the writing, but the first hour of this, I felt like was kind of a drag to follow the kind of teen drama of it all. Mm-hmm really wasn't working for me that well hmm. but i thought the horror when the horror kicked in i was on board yeah and i really liked the way the horror elements interacted and i especially liked larry holden's performance in the film and i thought this was a fun little pot boiling horror thriller yeah i'm with you 100 percent. i actually appreciated this quite a bit josh and um my first thing i would say is i i am I am concerned for the well-being of this film and the future of this film just due to its title. I mean, I like how the title is weird and bizarre, but I'm like, I mean, and it's spelled P-Y-E-W-A-C-K-E-T. So not only is it a bizarre, unusual thing that's hard to remember, but I mean, that's also hard to spell. So I just really hope, (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious, I hope that they do, in their marketing of this film and so forth, I hope they do a good job with their SEO stuff and having like alternate spellings and everything where it will register for this. I'm I'm just saying, I I worry for the health of the film. And and when you learn about um, Piwacket and what that means and where that comes from, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And it's not, it's not something like, because... Because I'm way more on board with something called Piwacket than something called, like, something the very... <laughs> well, that's another silly sounding thing. But, but yeah, yeah, something that's, like, really, um, like, generic. Like, generic. Like, like yeah. um, I'm not coming up with it right now, but, like, um, like the, the, the witch chant or something dumb, you know. The chant, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the chant. You know, so yeah. anyway, that was my first thing I want to say. The next Just th- really quick shout out um, to Piwacket was one of the familial spirits of a witch supposedly detected by the witch finder general, Matthew Hopkins, back in 19, 1644 mm-hmm. in Essex, England. So it has a historical context to the witch trials, basically. Yeah. And that's that's very cool. Yeah. 
but I'm, I'm just cool, saying. But still hard to Google and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just, yeah. I mean, that was strictly, that is not really a criticism of the film. It's just me saying as a guy who loves movies and especially loves worthy movies, I feel like this is a worthy film. You know, I worry yeah. about its future, but anyways, um, that's what we're here for, right? To try to bring it to the attention of people. Yeah. I, I will Maybe say. we'll have the Babadook effect eventually and yeah, it will become the singular thing. That's right. Now, I will say, I, I think that um, kind of like what I was talking about in Unsane, it almost feels um, like a lot of it is, is just kind of a drama, like you said, but it does get creepy. And at, at one point we have, um, <laughs> you know, you don't, this is one of those movies where you don't necessarily see a lot, but you you feel it. You feel the um, the dread and, and the... Um, unease of people and you feel the fear and i think that's cool at one part you do see something and and josh i was like i had the hair standing up on the back of my neck i'm telling you right now so i i, I wish i could have gotten to see more of that but um man yeah. I, I was very pleased with that yes and and, and so very good how, how did you feel and we're just going to talk very generally no spoilers of course how how did you feel about you know the big climax of the film? Um, like with the very very end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I felt I could have. I don't know. It was a little unclear to me. I wish I had been a little more clear. But I I did like this movie, and I agree with you. I think the the scary parts were terrifying, you know, and um when you see things there, there's room in, in, uh, in the bedroom and several scenes in the woods. And those had me very scared for this character and a little bit scared for myself. (laughs) Yeah. So that was fun. I I didn't, you know, I don't know. Some of the, I don't know. I just don't know if our lead actress completely pulled it off for me is all. I just didn't completely buy the stakes in the finale and I didn't, I wasn't quite on her journey in the beginning. See, I, I liked her and I bought her and I'll tell you why. And it's very subjective. Uh, I actually dated a girl that looked so much like her. And and, and (laughs) thank you. Yeah. I mean, she was, um, she's a musician and everything and it's not the same gal. Um, but I'm just saying, and (laughs) and, and it's weird because it turns out this is very weird, but, um, that girl, that I dated actually looks like a lot of people. I see a lot of people that look like her and it's kind of, Oh really? Yeah. It's kind of bizarre to me. Like I, like every once in a while I'll be out in public and I'll be like, is that, is that my um, ex-girlfriend? And then I can't tell if it's her or not. And it, so it's very like weird. But when I was watching her on screen, I'm like, yep, that looks like her too. So. Oh wow. And anyways, you know who she reminded me of is there's this um, hardcore punk band from, uh, Winnipeg called Propagandi that I used to love in high school. I still like them, but they have a new female guitarist that joined the band recently, and she kind of looks like her. Oh, okay. <laughs> to me, nice. That's who I was imagining the whole time, you know. And that's a similar kind of not you know metal and and punk are not the same, but she's kind of in the same world. She seems like kind of a rocker chick, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What did you think of her friend though? Her friend um, was it Janice? Chloe Rose. Oh yeah. Is that, was that, uh, was that the friend with the really sharp blue eyes? 
Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just having trouble. I liked all of the kids. I thought they were all fine. I mean, I I didn't think any of them were exceptional, but I thought they were all decent. Okay. Yeah, I, I enjoyed all of them. Yeah, and Laurie Holden. I thought, I thought um, mm-hmm. the boyfriend character was the best. Was that Eric Osborne? Yes, that's correct. That's Aaron. I thought he was the best of the kids. I believed him the most. Yeah, and and of course, as you're mentioning, I mean, Lori Holden was kind of a head heads and shoulders above the other. Like her her uh, drama game is really on. Yeah. I mean, she is dialed in and for this role, and you can you can feel it and it registers. Yeah. But. So were you scared? I really though? liked the one boy's hair who played uh, Rob <laughs> Romero Carrera. His, I thought he had a cool hair haircut. Oh, totally. <laughs> and, um, and just vibe, just cool, just a cool dude. Um, uh-huh. There, there was the scenes with the author who was played by James McGowan. Mm-hmm. I, I, those kind of reminded me of the scenes in Sinister when, um, when Ethan Hawke calls Vincent D'Onofrio. You know, it has that kind of. Had that kind of vibe to me, but I liked that stuff a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, that was that was cool. Um, so were you? Do you think this is a scary film? This is a scary horror movie to you? Um, I would say the kind of what I said. The scary parts are really scary, but I I thought there was a lot in the first half that just I could have was not my favorite. You know. So let me let me just describe. There's um. There are a few scenes because they just moved, and and when when Josh said earlier they moved to the woods, uh, it's kind of like this cabin home. I mean, they're in a house, yeah. And and up in the up, in the, you know, they bring in all their boxes, and I guess it's upstairs, like in the attic or something. There are a bunch yeah. of boxes stacked up in the attic, and man, every time that would come on when they were up in the attic, I would be I would be so like <laughs> nervous and uneasy. So yeah, a few times it really did affect me. So I, I was impressed with it, Josh, I have to say. So um, I, I thought Laura Holden was great and I love moments in movies. Uh, we talk about this so much. It just comes up, I guess, cause it's one of my favorite things, but in body snatcher movies or vampire movies where you're not really sure who the villain is, you're not sure if you can trust the person. You're not sure if this person is good or evil Mm-hmm. I love those types of scenes. They're pretty much my favorite thing that happens in horror cinema because I just love the not knowing and the terror that that creates in in the mind. Yes. You know? And there are some great scenes like that in this film. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. So anyways, just to kind of wrap up Pie Wacket, Josh, I, I'm, I really dig this film. I think it is in that, um, cause you know how like the traditional, and I say this the quote unquote, like the the traditional like like an eighties horror film where it's like okay every you know ten minutes or so from the beginning like you're gonna have a kill in the beginning and then like every ten to twenty minutes you're gonna have another kill and it's kind of right. clearly a horror film throughout. This is one of those like newer breeds of horror films in the twenty tens when when you know a lot of it's just drama but but it's it's unsettling and it builds. And it has this ominous, you know, overtone of dread. And, you know, I think it's very effective at that. So just to give people the heads up on that, I'm giving it a 7.5 out of 10. And this is a a strong rental recommendation for me, Josh. What say you? 
Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. 7.5 out of 10, and I recommend people rent it. It's on VOD all over the place. I think it's $4.99 on Amazon. You can get it pretty much anywhere now. And um, I, I probably would buy the DVD of this, even though I'm, I mean, calling it a rental because um, I don't know. I feel like this is the type of film I'd like to know more about the backstory. I'd like to know more about um, mm-hmm. how this movie came to pass. And I'm so interested in the director, Adam McDonald. I really like Backcountry, as did you. And I, oh, I, yeah. I just want to know more about, I want to see more of his films. I, I like where he's, his kind of trajectory or his tastes, I guess, as a filmmaker. Oh, me uh, too. I'd like to see him have a little bit more of a budget to work with, but I thought he did a good job here. So yeah, there's a rental recommendation for me. Might buy the Blu-ray if I see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you the, the, uh, yeah, the the quote unquote monster. When you when you see what you see, I'm just I'm like, I think about it now and get a little bit creeped out. Okay, so that's pie whack it. All right, Josh, we have some giveaways right now at this point in the show. Is that right? Yeah, well, we've had one that we've been meaning to do for quite a while, and so finally getting around to it. Basically, um, Adam Masterware. Uh, that's another one of our uh, listeners from Portugal. They started a small clothing brand at adamasterwear.com and they wanted to donate a shirt to our listenership for a giveaway. And so we held a little contest where we basically, we asked our listeners via Twitter to post their top 10 horror movies for 2017 in the comments for episode 137, which was our top 10 of 2017 episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And that we'd just draw the names of one of those people and they would they would win this shirt. And the specific shirt that we're giving away is one of my favorites that he's done. It's uh, the little fellow with the sack on his head, Sam from Trick or Treat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool little cartoon illustration of Sam. So I thought that would be a fun one to give away. Love it. So we thank Adam Astroware for the t-shirt and we're just going to randomly select one of the listeners who left their top 10 list here in the comments on episode 137 and the winner will be Jody Horror Guy. <laughs> so congratulations to Jody. And nice. he's he's one of our very active listeners, Jody B. And so we appreciate that. I love that and dude. Yeah, Jody, if you want to message us your contact info, or you could directly message Adam Masterware on Twitter, I suppose, then uh, Adam Masterware will ship that out to you. And uh, that's cool. And make sure you send us a tweet of photo of the shirt when you get it. We want to see what that shirt looks like. That's right. We also have a couple of other giveaways um, uh, we've got three coming up and we're going to do two of them on this episode and save one for another episode. We're going to put this out there. Uh, Shane, the maniac cop, very kindly donated two Blu-rays, a get out Blu-ray and a, is it 40th anniversary of the Texas chainsaw massacre? Yes. absolutely. 40 years. So soon. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's come so quickly. They grew up so fast. Yeah, they do. Um, we are going to give away those two Blu-rays, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 40th anniversary and the Get Out Blu-ray. And what we would love you guys to do 
is if you have not yet, please subscribe and leave a review uh, for Horror Movie Podcast on iTunes, and we will draw one winner from for each of these discs from those who have left reviews on iTunes. We will make sure to draw draw at least one of those from the brand new people who have left reviews. But if you're a long time listener and you're like, Hey man, that's no fair. I left a review four years ago. We'll spin back through the history and pick one out from there as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. So thank you very much to Shane, the maniac cop and Adam master for donating these very cool giveaways to our very cool listeners. Mm-hmm. All right. And this is one of my favorite points in the show. And that is listening to Wolfman Josh's screaming online segment. All right, this Screaming Online film, when it came out last year in Europe, it was called Dihola, but this it is for us a 2018 film called Cold Hell that in <laughs> the United States is a Shudder exclusive. You can only get it on Shudder. It is directed by Stefan Ruzowitzki and written by Martin Ambrosch, and it stars Violetta Sherwallo, who is amazing, and I'm so sad that I'm mispronouncing her name because she does a fantastic job, and several other actors. And Cold Hell is it starts out kind of like a giallo. It has like very much that black gloved killer giallo feel for the first kind of quarter, mm. and then it as it goes on, I would say it transitions from more of a horror film into more of a thriller. And then ultimately has kind of an action piece conclusion. Interesting. So I was a little bit bummed out about that. I, although they, it's done well, as you know, we're horror fans. And so I would just prefer to have a straight ahead horror movie, but, <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, it has, it, it's an Austrian film. Uh, filmed in in Austria and Germany, and it has kind of that sheen of like a '90s German movie of like a Run Lola Run kind of film. That's oh, what it felt cool. like to me. I love that movie. Uh, Is it? So, I mean, I don't like. Sorry, go ahead. I apologize for interrupting. So, are you telling me it's it's nearly in um um what's that called? Real time. Like uh, roll over. No, 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 no. I just oh, mean okay. the look of the look of the movie, particularly the nighttime scenes. They have that. I don't know. It's something. It's the only movie I could think of directly that looked the way that this movie looks. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. In terms of the cinematography, the lenses choices, the camera and the and the lighting mm-hmm. reminded me of that. I guess lighting wise, a lot of the scenes at night here have that kind of grimy. Saw two, saw three kind of lighting with <laughs> your very green and you know very saturated colors. Yes, yes. But basically, what you have here is a, a Viennan woman, and she is, I believe, Turkish, Turkish, but she's she's from Vienna, and her race 
plays a role in kind of her treatment throughout the film, her being Muslim. She's, I don't think practicing Muslim, but she comes from kind of a Muslim family. Mm-hmm. And that, that does play a role in the way that the police kind of approach her throughout the movie. And that added kind of an interesting layer, I thought, but it's not like the main point, but gotcha. basically what you have here is she is this Thai kickboxer, first of all. So she kicks a major butt. Cool. And she, but she's had some drug charges and she's on probation and she's just kind of trying to get her life back together. And she's driving a taxi as her job. And she's having kind of a humdrum day of of night, I should say, of taxi driving. And she walks home in the middle of the night. And then, uh, you know, there's kind of a foul stench in her apartment. So she's opening up the windows to let the air out. And she, across the alleyway, sees a murder victim on the ground tied up with duct tape, blood everywhere. And she is shocked to see what she sees. And then very masterfully, the filmmakers allow us to realize, Oh no, the killer has been in this frame the entire time and is looking at her. (laughs) No way. That's cool. So, so she witnesses the murder, the murderer witnesses her witnessing the murder and the rest of the film is the serial killer after her. Um, and because she is kind of a fighter, as I mentioned, this movie does somewhat take a turn for, you know what? Maybe I'll kill you instead. And so it has that kind of I'll spit on your grave mm-hmm. kind of approach to it, I guess. Um, and it's very fun. I really enjoy this movie. It is, as I said, in the U.S., it's a Shutter exclusive if you don't have Shutter, which I didn't, you can do a free trial, which I did. Um, I'm an Amazon Prime user, and for Amazon Prime users at least, you can do a free eight-day trial. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to catch up on a lot of these um, Shutter exclusives that I've been missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd recommend other people do that too. If It's definitely worth a rental if you can't f- get it on, M- on uh, Shutter, maybe um, – or you're in a different region of the world than, than we are, I'd recommend checking out Cold Hell. It's it's very good. And Violetta Sherlo. <laughs> hey. I'm gonna get her name right. Sherlo, yeah. Eventually. I, I guess it's yeah. that. Yeah. Neat. That actually that sounds uh, really fun. Fantastic. She's she is definitely going to be in my pool for best actresses of twenty eighteen. I thought she was great. Oh, cool. Okay. By the way, how much is Shutter per month? I don't know. It's a good question. If they would give us a little <laughs> kickback here, we yeah. could we could do some advertising for them. Yeah, but, maybe uh, yeah. we could. I don't know. Enough has been said. <laughs> yes, yes, we have no idea. I don't know. All right, we'll never. There's no way to know. No, nope. unfortunate. <laughs> no way to find it. I don't think you no. can Google them. They're not even online. No, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> All right, and it is the moment you've all been waiting for in episode 143 of Horror Movie Podcast. We welcome to the show the mad doctor, the amazing but subtle Dr. Shock. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> that was Good to finally, finally be here. I know, right? <laughs> we were looking for you all this time. So, Dave, just real all quick, right, before man. we jump in, we got a, a feature review that has been uh, much discussed. Uh, I just want to know... As we record this, you got nine, like nine reviews left to do for your twenty five hundred, right? Yes, 
And okay. actually, I, I don't I don't even have nine full reviews. I have every single one of them outlined and probably I'd say 75% written at this point um, is how I'm trying to do it. I just watched all the movies, binge watched them. And then it's just a matter of going to I'm going to be posting them. So I know exactly what nine movies they're going to be. And then, yeah, now it's just a matter of writing them and and, then posting them. That's amazing. Well, I'm anxiously awaiting to see what your uh, number 2500 is, because that was like. I think it's going to be very anticlimactic for a lot of people, but it is the movie that inspired me to do this in the first place. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be there for it. All right. I thought we can Yeah, we can <laughs> right now. Sal was uh Sal Roma sent me a uh, uh a comment on the blog. As a matter of fact, I want to pull it up here because uh, my movie um number uh twenty four ninety one was uh Cecil Be Demented, which I had to do because I that's been my avatar mm-hmm. since well, since probably back to the beginning. I, I at least to twenty eleven. I think maybe even going back yeah. to twenty ten on Twitter. Um, And I really did uh, like uh, Sal's comment. Here it is. Are you kidding me? I was convinced this was going to be your number 2,500 review since you've had a cropped image of the poster as your avatar forever. The fact that it came so close to being that review only to fall a few days short feels like a troll job to me. (laughs) And then he did put. Ha ha at the end, I guess. Mm, sort of. no, he wasn't joking. <laughs> Troll was calling you out, man. Yeah, he was mad. I think he was mad about that. Well, hey. So I can understand. That was a good it. guess though. Oh on yeah. I, I can I can completely I can completely understand it. And at one point it was going to be twenty four ninety nine. I was going to save it till the very end, but I was getting a little antsy to watch it, I gotta be honest. Mm-hmm. I got you. I'm just glad you got around to Captain Kronos because I can't. I'm looking forward oh, to covering yeah. that on Universal Monsters Cast eventually. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, that's a that's a good one, and it's such a shame I came so late in the cycle because I think that could have saved Hammer. I mean, if if they had mm-hmm. that was by the by that point, people were sort of done with them, uh, and they weren't they weren't you know they were they were losing money. But if they had done that just a little bit earlier, like maybe in the mid '60s or something. They might have been able to go into the 80s with them, especially with the Kronos movies, I think, because that is really excellent. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Yes, sir. All right. Well, um, welcome then, Dave, and we're glad you're here, and we'll watch you uh, run through the finish line on that. But in yep. the meantime, we've got business to conduct here. On uh, There's a film streaming on Netflix. <laughs> we're going to talk about this one. And so let's move into our feature review of Veronica. So with this Veronica film, just so everybody knows, and and guys, tell me if I watched the wrong one, because on Netflix, when you type in Veronica, there are two that come up, right? There's the, the, there are two Veronicas. And and I actually, I saw where some people like on Twitter were saying, I keep hearing all this stuff about this Veronica and there were two. So I just watched them both, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Uh, But the, the one we're talking about here 
Um, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I am. But this is the one by uh, Paco Plaza, right? Director Paco Plaza. Correct. Yes. I believe, yeah, in, uh, set in Madrid in yes. 91 and or, it, 93, or 93, is it? No, 91, 91. you're right. Yeah. 91, yes, okay. And it starts. Right. The much anticipated film from Paco Plaza because I think, you know, his films Wreck and Wreck 2 were so influential and so well done. And then for him to mm-hmm. kind of just disappear after that mm-hmm. was kind of shocking, I think. And so uh, yeah. I think a lot of people were anticipating seeing what he'd do next. So before Dave hits yeah. the premise on this, just want to put it out there. A lot. I mean, I heard this a lot and I don't know. I would like to know if you guys have insights on this. Now, I heard so much buzz that this was supposed to be like a super scary movie and the scariest movie on Netflix is what people were saying. I mean, you you could hear that and read that everywhere. And um, now, do you think that that came from like the, the, the groundswell of the filmmakers or marketing buzz? Or do you think one or two people who maybe weren't as you know, used to horror movies, saw it and thought it was freaky and then it just caught fire. How do you think that happened? Because it seems like a really so the, risky An marketing. option is not that it is, in fact, the scariest movie. Is that what you're saying? That's not one of the options. Right. <laughs> not, not not for me, but like I'm just saying, I mean, it could be, that could be one of the options. But but even, even so, like even if you did make a film and it, if it were the scariest movie ever, you thought, I think that would be really risky sc- stuff to market it that way. If, if I had made a movie and one of the things I saw on the marketing was scariest movie ever, I think I'd panic a little mm-hmm. because you're, you're, you're almost setting your, I don't know. It's almost like you're setting yourself up. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, it, people don't, don't accept that. And even on the exorcist, which I think is one of the scariest movies ever. Um, so, but there are plenty of people out there who don't agree with that. I think, I, I don't know. I, I would just be a little bit, I'd be a little bit nervous as to what the response is going to be from horror fans if we're if it's being promoted as scariest movie ever. Yeah. I mean, I think like Cold Hell, this was a film that came out last year overseas. And so there's just been this buzz about it because people in Europe were saying this is one of the best movies of 2017, but we hadn't seen it yet. And so I think that happens a lot. You know, this one, a film has been on the, on the festival circuit, like this premiered at Toronto and then it came out in Europe and people are just waiting and waiting and waiting. And like you say, the pedigree of the filmmakers, I think uh, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff just happens. I feel like I insulate myself a lot from that though, because as a, as a genuine lover of films, a lot of people, say I hate the cinema, but the truth is I love films. And, and when there is a lot of hype surrounding a film, I actually try to downplay and I'm always skeptical going in. So I'm not expecting a lot of hype because I, I, I wanted, have, I'm the same way. I do the same thing, Jay, a lot. Yeah. Like, uh, and I did that back when, you know, uh, independence day came out. I didn't see it right away. Titanic. I avoided for years, anything to me that's overhyped, kind of turns me off a bit. Even like the show Lost, which I ended up loving. I didn't start watching the first season. Someone gave it to me on Blu-ray until the fifth season had already wrapped. Mm-hmm. You know, so one of those, I agree. I, I I tend to shy away from things that are, that that everyone's just saying it's the greatest thing ever. You got to say it. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay did that this last year with The Devil's Candy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I did. And part of it, and this is, I know this is very juvenile or something, but I just didn't like the title. 
And and I regret it. I'm just saying, everybody out there, that's a great film, and I regret not watching it sooner. But to this to this moment, even right now, I still don't love that title. But kind of a I, yeah. in my mind, I marry it with Hard Candy. I think, which oh, I love right. that that, and so I don't know. That's I like it that worked better for me. Yeah, and, 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 and Devil's Candy is not. The, the, you wouldn't watch that movie and say, "Oh boy, yeah, Devil's Candy fits that perfectly." You know, that there are other titles. I guess it could have been. Yeah. So I can understand that, and I get why they named it that. I mean, I, I mean, that's pretty cool when you learn why it's named that. You know, it's a little bit chilling. But anyway, last thing I want to say, David, and I really want to hear your premise on this. Um, just for those, like back in the Planet Macabre days, like you guys used to do a rating that was like scare factor, like how scary is it? So I'm just putting it out there. I think, I think scare factor, like if 10 is like, I'm scared out of my mind and I'm like petrified and, and, and like one is 0% scared. I was maybe like a, a four, 4.5 scare factor on this. I mean, it's good. I mean, I, I think it's it's creepy, but like, I I still don't know where that scariest movie uh, thing was coming from. Personally, no, I, I I don't disagree with you. I um and usually, and I love you know these supernatural movies usually do get to me. Mm-hmm. I'm probably a little higher than you, but I don't think I'm that high. I'm certainly not in scariest movie ever range. Yeah. Right. I gotta say, I'm. I've got deep red on in the background as we're talking, and <laughs> it just got to the scene where I saw the face of the killer scene with the paintings. Oh yeah. And the scare factor was very high for me just now while you guys were talking. <laughs> it was jumped yes, out of my skin. Ex- exactly. <laughs> very, uh, very effective scene. That's awesome. Okay, Dave. Well, tell us about the premise uh, of Veronica and. As always, listeners out there, we won't do any spoilers on this part. So, No, actually, I was thinking, oh, let me go to IMDb. I didn't actually prepare one for Veronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, I'll if I do a movie I've already reviewed on the blog, I'll just go and read my synopsis there. So, But um, the one on IMDb is incredibly brief. I'll just read it. It's Madrid 1991. A teen girl finds herself besieged by an evil supernatural force. After she played Ouija with two classmates. <laughs> and then boom, that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, what happens is, is this uh, this girl, um, her father had passed away several years ago. Ago, The girl is Veronica, the title character. And it's uh, Sandra Esca, Escasina. I, I'm not sure exactly the pronunciation on that. Uh, is playing Veronica. Uh, she's a teenage girl. And she has uh, three younger siblings, two sisters and a, a younger, like the youngest is, is a brother. And she watches over them during the day because the mother works, uh, has her own bar. And that's how she makes money. But that means she's gone from the family um, uh, home, which is in, in an apartment complex, um, gone for long, long periods of time. And Veronica has to sort of take care of the younger ones. Well, during a, a solar eclipse, um, Veronica and two of her classmates decide um, Veronica wants to see if she can contact her father. So uh, she goes uh, they go down to the basement of the school while everyone else is outside watching through strips of negative film. You know, they got like these negatives over their eyes watching the eclipse, which I didn't know was a thing. I guess it is. But anyway, they go down into the basement and uh, they, you know, they break out the Ouija board and it starts to move. Um, 
and it becomes obvious very quickly that that Veronica uh, has a, a very serious encounter with uh, a supernatural being. Um, and it just sort of follows from there that it uh, well, follows her home. And uh, she learns that she it's threatening her family. So she has to take control. Uh, the mother, of course, is one who's not really believing this. So, so she has to sort of take control of everything and and save her um, siblings, guard, you know, uh, watch over her siblings to make sure that this uh, this force does not uh, affect them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just a quick comment on the casting here of uh, Veronica. You know, I think one of the greatest uh, feathers in the cap or the strongest arrows in the quiver for this film is is that actress, uh, Sandra Escanina. <laughs> because, I agree. Because she is so down to earth and, and she just seems like an everyday human being, like a good girl. She's, she's that older sibling. She's very responsible. And it's one of those like horror happens to those who deserve at least kind of things in that I think that she's she seems like such a good person and you just can't believe that that this evil would befall her right and she was i think legitimately maybe 16 years old when this movie was made you know a lot of times you get the 20 year olds playing teenagers right uh, but she was born in uh, 2001 um in march of 2001 so i think she was legitimately <laughs> right around 16 or wow I was curious if the film put the braces on her, if those were her real braces. I, I think that's a smart move. That really helps make her feel younger as well. Mm -hmm. It does. Absolutely. I think one of the strengths of the movie, along with her, is that you do sort of care about her family. You know, it's almost like that poltergeist effect where part of what part of what helps and also with the devil's candy, part of what helps it is that you care about this this family. And you want to see her protect them from the evil mm -hmm. uh, that that's befalling them. Uh, and I think that that makes that adds to the scare factor for me. Yeah. You know, when you really do care about the characters um, it, it and, and they're in peril and all of them are in peril. I mean, and, and they, we're talking about other than, you know, she's a teenager. The rest of them are adolescents. And mm -hmm. and the, bro the brother, I think he's what, maybe five or six mm -hmm. at the most. Yeah. I Those little kids are so cute. They really yeah. add to the yeah. peril of the yes. film. <laughs> right. I think, I think, I think so. And the fact that they're doing this, you know, without the mother around um, is, is impressive. Now, um, one thing I know that they start off, they start off as one of those movies that starts at the end where, you know, something bad has happened. You just don't know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they start off with a with a like I guess like a nine one one call. Um, something's going on at the house. We don't know who made the call. The um, the police show up. There's all this chaos, um, and they break into the apartment. You see things on the walls, things lying all over the place. Then they go into a bedroom, and then it flashes to three days back. You know, I think that a lot of times. With a, with a lot of times with a movie, you're waiting for them to get to that point after they show you that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I didn't get I didn't get that feeling this time, though, because I kind of had um, again, I got sort of tied up in the characters. Mm. So I kind of I had kind of forgotten about that halfway through the movie, still sort of knowing it was there and knowing how this is going to you know eventually play out. 
It's kind of a hit or miss device for me. I think in this case, because they didn't show us what happened, it really did kind of bother me because I was waiting to find out what happened. Like sometimes they'll show you a crazy image and you think, Oh wow. How did it get to here? I'm curious to see how they got to here. But with this movie, I don't know. I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for that crazy image we were going to see, you know, and it was ultimately a pretty crazy image, but I don't know if it was worth the wait. <laughs> okay. I mean, wow. I saw, I saw that with the apartment when you saw the things on the walls and everything laying on the ground yeah. and you knew that something bad had happened at, yeah. at, at that point, maybe that's what he was setting it up as. Um, but yeah, you're right. I know, I know what you're saying. And then when you do see that image, it's, it's not necessarily what I was expecting to see. Um, no, I thought it was going to be, well, I just, I guess my imagination created something far more disturbing. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. But, but yeah, I mean, because we didn't, we solely get the reaction shot, uh, you know, the people who are looking at it, I was actually curious for it. And, and I, I had this sense of dread the whole movie, knowing that it really goes south and gets very intense and upsetting. Right. So that was good. And, and and you know uh, what characters um, are ultimately tied into it too. That mm-hmm. uh, right. Yeah, two- they, they tell you right from the beginning um, yeah. who's involved. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, for me, um, my favorite element of this movie was Sister Death or Hermana Muerta yes. in the film, who was played by Consuela Trujillo. So good. Her first of all, her reveal. Yeah which happens during the scene Dave previously described with the kids holding up the film negatives to their eyes to watch the eclipse. Mm -hmm. That was an incredible reveal of her character or setup of her character scared (laughs) the crap out of me. Yes. That is epic looking, but um, the way her scenes played out, that was, that was the thing that felt most interesting to me. And I would have liked to see even more of that because I do feel like the film, although I think it's a really good movie, it suffers much in the way that some of the films we talked about last year suffering from The Walking Dead being in existence. I think this film suffers from just being too similar to all of the Ouija movies out there and Paranormal Activity 5. There, you know, there's a bit that reminds me of that. And um, the exorcist itself, you know, it's, it's very similar in setup to that. So we just have seen this scenario happen so many times. Um, I thought what worked best about it was something that I had an issue with in Piwacket, which I just feel like the teenage drama stuff all worked really well here for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was mm-hmm. along for that ride. And so I think yeah. those characters keeping me in the film and feeling grounded uh, is what was best about it. But in terms of the actual horror elements, I feel like a lot of it was stuff that we had seen before until the end. I thought as it went on, it got better and better, but uh, definitely at the beginning with the Ouija scene and all that stuff, I just thought, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're really going to do this again. (laughs) Right. I I I don't disagree with you because, you know, as, as much as I've been praising it to this point, I did not, uh, the scares were effective, but they were not, um, you know, they, they didn't, uh, I didn't find anything well terrifying, but I didn't find anything like very scary. I was expecting a little more with the interaction with, with the, with the girl and the, and the, and the spirit. I don't think anything really happened, um, to set this apart from other similar movies, like you're saying. 
Well, Dave, we just recently reviewed The Uninvited from 1944, and I wouldn't say that this we just seen was much better than that we just seen. And we're talking a lot of years in between. A lot those of years, scenes, yes, you know? exactly. Like, exactly. A little bit. Need a need a little bit more there, and even with with this with the spirit in the apartment, um, it seemed pretty basic. What the spirit yeah. was doing yeah. uh, again? Nothing that nothing that you know. I think it, it's it's you know it'll put you on edge, but I don't think it's gonna it's not gonna terrify any any horror fan who's he, who's even semi familiar with this sort of film. You know, there were some genre. cool elements with um, I don't want to like her moments of discovery. I thought those were really well done mm-hmm. toward the end of the mm-hmm. movie. I was just like, whoa, that's a cool image I haven't really seen before. Now I'm looking on IMDb. This is listed as TV mature. This was a TV movie. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Wonder that could be that. a mistake on IMDb, but they have it as TV mature. I wonder if that's because it's classified as a Netflix original in the U.S. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe mm. that's how they're um, maybe that's how they're rating those movies now. Or that's a good point. That's very po- that's very possible. On that note, just I just looked up the ritual that we talked about recently. It's also right. a Netflix original. It's also listed as TVMA. So that's got to be that what they're doing. Happening. Then that's mm-hmm. got to be what they're doing. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I would think if they played it at, at film festivals around here, they would have had to have gotten an MPAA approval of some point. No, you don't have to have. Um, you don't have to go to the MPAA to play festivals. Oh, okay, cool. You really don't even have to do it to play in theaters. It just hurts you if you don't get that. Uh, right, at least in it's, independent theaters. A lot, maybe a lot it, like of, major yeah. chains wouldn't take the film if it didn't have a rating. Right. Mm-hmm. Like most documentaries never get a rating. Most documentaries are unrated. Nice. That's good to know. So, uh, some of the aspects that I really appreciate about this, there are, um, let's just call them art-related aspects. There are a few um, art-related aspects. There's um, art having to do with a book, and then reproducing that art and then, and then straying from from the reproduction of that art which i think is just wonderful i'm trying to be vague here on purpose and then and then the other thing was um uh, the more literal art yeah like i i kept noticing it you know the camera would pan past it and then and then i i saw like similar themes or characters show up elsewhere and i'm like okay this is I, I see what they're doing here, and I like I like the incorporation of that. I think it was somewhat obvious, but I still appreciate it. Wasn't, it. it wasn't even sometimes it wasn't even panning past it. Sometimes it's focusing right on it, and the character walks past it. Right, like the camera doesn't shift; it just it just sits on the artwork. Exactly. One in particular, one in per- one uh, one painting and framed uh, painting in particular. Yes. Yeah. One thing that I thought was super interesting about the movie was at the very end, they had all these photographs with kind of like a police description of what was found. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, was this based on a true story? And I thought just, the same thing. It feels <laughs> that, that way. That thought all of a sudden scared the crap out of me. And I thought this film really could have benefited maybe with starting from those, with those images or starting with the based on a true story, even if it wasn't, but you know mm-hmm. how a lot of movies fudge and just say based on a true story, right? you know, like I, 
I felt like, man, that would have freaked me out ten times more if I was <laughs> in that mindset. It's hilarious you 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 you, uh, you say that. My wife was watching with me, and she does not normally watch these movies with me, but she did watch this one from start to finish. And when it got to the end, and they were wrapping it up and showing pictures, I, 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 she said, "If this is based on a true story, turn it off right now." You know, and this what we're, we're like, we got two minutes left in the movie. I mean, you've just seen everything. <laughs> I know, and you know, I was. I had the same experience you guys did where I was like kind of freaked out by those, those final images. And, and as, as Josh said, it's just kind of like, it looks like police, you know, photography or something, but I was trying to figure out, okay, why either, either that's real (laughs) or, or why does it look real? And I think it's just because they, they like put such a bright light on it when they photographed it, Mm -hmm. but it looks stark and genuine. It's amazing. Yeah. And well, and the movie starts out with a 911 call too. And so mm-hmm. that alone, if this is a true story, if that was the real 911 call and those were the real police photos at the end, this is the scariest movie on Netflix for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's fine. That, that's enough to warrant that title, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if, um, I, I don't know if somebody said this already, but this is a Spanish film. It's from Spain. And so it is subtitled, but um, I'd just like to put that out there. But I, I wasn't distracted or anything by reading the subtitles. I mean, no, no, I wasn't either. I, I don't usually get distracted with subtitles, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't like them and I can understand, you know, I, I can understand to a degree. Um, but when you get the dubbed version, I, I've tried before watching the dubbed version with subtitles on and hardly ever matches up. You know, when you're, when you're, when it is translating from, from what the original spoken language was to the subtitles, you are getting much more with the subtitles than you get with the dubbing. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is they're trying to match mouths with the dubbing. So they'll change the dialogue a little bit just to make it look better with (laughs) the dub. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, it's, I mean, when you get back to the movies of like the 70s and 80s, it's just silly sometimes, you know, what they're having them say. Right. Uh, and what the character is actually supposed to be saying. <laughs> so another thing I, I really appreciate about this film is the soundtrack. I love it. I think the uh, the score in this thing is, um, it, it's affecting. I mean, I, I don't always notice the music, which is weird as a musician, but but mm-hmm. but in this, I, I really felt like um, I was, you know, taken away by the music sometimes. So, yeah, I agree. All right. So um, any any final thoughts before we move into our, our ratings on Veronica, guys? <clears throat> no. OK. All right. Well, uh, so so again, I, it is scary. I just want to say I think it it, it is kind of scary. I I'm with you guys. I don't love the Ouija board stuff. I mean, I'm just like, Oh, I think that's so tired. And, and plus any film that's about a game, you know, like battleship or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I always, like, I like games. <laughs> you, yeah. You like games, but I, I don't like, but yeah. I'm, but I'm, but I just feel like we've seen this. We just seen 3 million times. That's true. Yeah. And, and it also has, by the way, it also has Simon in it, that game. Well, that's light, why I was referencing Paranormal Activity 5, because that's right. what they do in Paranormal Activity 5, is they use a Simon as a Ouija board. Yes. So, in those ways, it, it does have, it does seem a little bit derivative, 
you know, but but even so, I think it's a, a pretty well-made horror film, and I was very pleased to stream this on Netflix. So I'll, I'll just tell you guys, um, for me, it's a 7 out of 10, and I say definitely stream it on Netflix. Uh, what do you say, Dr. Shock? Actually, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I say seven out of ten. Also, um, it it is it, yeah, definitely stream it. It's worth seeing. It's a well made movie, a well acted movie. Uh, the characters I think are, um, you, you know, you you give a damn about them, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you get pulled into their story. Uh, but yeah, as far as some of the some of the scares are or have been there, done that uh, feel to them. But that aside. I do think um, I do think it's worth seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wolfman. I, I think it's very well done. I think it's very watchable. I think younger audiences will get more out of it because you'll relate more to the characters on screen. I think, and also maybe you haven't seen as many horror movies, and maybe it won't seem as quite as derivative to you. I think it's an excellent entry for Spain, and I, you know we haven't seen a ton of Spanish horror films lately, and so I think this is a great job and i'd like to see more and of course you know from paco plaza it's just great to see him still working i am a little bit surprised because i feel like wreck and wreck 2 are such powerful movies i did feel like this um wasn't quite as affecting to me as that but i will uh say as, as I did before, I feel like the drama aspects here are so well done that you do care about these characters. And so the horror that is there, it becomes effective, I guess, in that way, because you, you don't want bad things to happen to these little kids. They're, mm-hmm. they're super cute and lovable. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, and the main character, Jay, as you said, is just very likable and, and rootable and relatable. So yeah, I um, mean, yeah, I give this one a 7.5 say stream it on Netflix. And if you're in an area outside of the U.S. where it's, you know, just a regular VOD rental and not a Netflix original, I'd say it's definitely worth a rental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, that's our thoughts on Veronica. Uh, let us know in the show notes what you think about it. I, I know a lot of people have already weighed in on Twitter. And the other night, in fact, before I read it, before I saw this film, I, I know this is risky, but I, I went through, I did a search for the keyword Veronica on Netflix you know, and um, and I was reading a lot of the reactions, and yeah, it seemed like a lot of those that I that I was seeing were they felt a little bit like I think their expectations were built up too high, and that's really unfortunate. So I hope that people who hear this review will tone down that whole scare factor expectation, and then I think they'll enjoy it a lot more. Is my two cents, but yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. At this point, let's move into our collector's crypt. We have two to discuss here. One by Vinegar Syndrome and one by Arrow Video. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome, where this is a movie, uh, it's a Blu-ray DVD combo, and it's called Demon Wind. It's a movie from 1989. Main character is named Corey. He and his girlfriend, along with a group of their friends, go out to this uh, shack uh, or a, um, I guess it's like what was at one point a farmhouse. Corey's family died in this house or, or they disappeared from this house. Uh, the only one who survived was his father. And the only reason his father survived was because he was an infant in the hospital in an incubator at the time that this all went down at the farmhouse. So Corey had just visited his father And that visit has prompted him to go out to the farmhouse and get some answers as to what happened to his family. 
So a whole bunch of his friends go with him and they go out to this old farmhouse, which is basically dilapidated. It's not even a house anymore. It's more just a wall and a a few remnants of what used to be a farmhouse and a barn. And what they find is that the family must have been dealing in black magic and there are encounters with demons and craziness ensues from there. Yeah, super crazy. This is a movie that I had never seen before. Me neither. This it's one of those '80s films. I guess it's 1990 technically or '89. It's it's technically it, yeah. Some say '89, some say '90. We're right at the end there, so right at the end of of the '80s, and it feels just like one of those gems that you can't believe you've never seen. Yeah, man, it <laughs> is such a weird movie. The first hour or so rivals troll two for being some of the worst (laughs) acted scenes I've ever seen. Just the most stiff dialogue, terrible sets, just awful. And we, some, one of the weirdest scenes where (laughs) they get to this farmhouse. And one of the, the first things that happens is, uh, (laughs) <laughs> one of the girls is turned into a doll, like a, like a child's doll. And the characters don't really react. That was way. what got me. Yeah. That was what got <laughs> me. It's, if one of your friends was turned into a doll before that, your eyes and they just had to go about their business. <laughs> that is exactly how I, how I, how I thought that's the first thing that struck me about this. I mean, you, a lot of eighties movies will do this. And a lot of slashers movies too. When there's a group of friends one of them dies every now and again, you know, in the later ones, especially someone will come up with like a little, like a, uh, like a joke or something. They'll throw in a one liner. Um, but that's all, you know, it's sort of a wink and a nudge. In this case, you're right. This is probably one of the strangest deaths you'll see on screen. And I, I, I use deaths in air quotes, um, you know, saying not necessarily saying that's what it is, but um, a character is turned into a doll. The doll has blood running from its uh, eyes and mouth. Yeah. It has a final line and then bursts into flames. Now, <laughs> these are all good friends. These are people who followed this guy into the middle of nowhere to go to his farmhouse. So they all know each other. We get the feeling from when they were at a diner, they're great friends and, and everything. So how do they react to this? Well, I best we get, we guess we better get inside. Yeah, <laughs> you know it, it's 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 the strangest. You know, you, if, if if anybody else had seen that, they're traumatized for life. And you also have characters who are like skeptics, and this doesn't rock their world to the core <laughs> like you think it would. Exactly right. If they don't believe in the supernatural, but they just see one of their good friends turned into a dolly, there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens in this movie. I will say the second half of the movie I thought was fantastic. Like, oh I, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it turned from just a terrible '80s movie to a fantastic '80s movie halfway through. It's still cheesy and goofy, mm-hmm. but I love the makeup effects in the second half of the film. There are just some really fun scenes. It's still schlocky and bad, yes. but in a very yes. enjoyable way. Whereas I would say the first 20 minutes, you're kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. It's schlocky and bad, but you're not sure if it's going to be worth your time. By the end, I was convinced. I will say there were a couple of characters set up very early on. A magician 
who's also can do some karate. I thought, okay, <laughs> this is going to be good. We are going to see something amazing from these characters and minor spoiler alert. They're two of the first characters who yeah, kind of, right. They, they, they kind of meet all- their match. Like these are the best characters to do anything about the situation. And they're the first ones taken out. Come on. What, what an, and, and what an amazing introduction. They come over a hill. Oh, yeah. This guy's standing there as a magician standing in this convertible. <laughs> um, you know, almost, almost like, like an emperor, uh, you know, riding into, into Rome after, after a bat, after, you know, winning a major victory and he comes down and they have this, this encounter with the one guy who, you know, uh, well, I can't remember the character's name, the, the blonde haired guy who you're set up to hate right from the beginning. You're thinking who invited this right. douchebag? <laughs> um, and, and you're right. You think, okay, well, this is. They're interesting characters. These two are very, one of the guys has a smoke like a ninja like smoke bomb entrance too. You're yeah. like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> nice. Michael Dudikoff stuff there. It's it is yeah. something. Now, of the cool ideas in this movie, that fog scene where they're just mm. the fog rolls in and there's someplace different. Yeah, and they're going, wow, now it's cold. All of a sudden, then the fog rolls in and there's someplace different again. That was pretty cool. That would have been interesting if they explored those areas a little before that yep. fog rolled in again, because yeah. that was a really cool idea that this was sort of transporting them. You don't know if it's in time. You don't know if it's, uh, you know, another country they're suddenly in. You don't know anything like that. But that was a really cool concept. I liked that. This had some really nice. I, I know I was making fun of the production design, and, and in some cases, the production design is awful, but there's a certain. I don't know. It's very appealing to me the way the look of the movie from the cinematography mm-hmm. to the makeup. It just it has a very uh, pleasant. I don't know if that's the right word. I can't think of the right word, but it's for a fan of schlock in 80s. It's just a very pleasant um, experience. You know, it just yeah. feels awesome. The world, the world that you're in and it's very low yeah. budget. And this is this is the reason that these boutique blu-ray distributors like vinegar syndrome are so great is that you find these little gems of films that would have and probably should have just disappeared from the face of the earth mm-hmm. you know right. you would never see this again this was never released on dvd but they come in here and they save it and it's got this brand new 2k restoration straight off the 35 millimeter camera negative it's got interviews with with cast and producers and the cinematographer i love this movie yeah. <laughs> to me this is just an <laughs> undersea 80s gem it's bad but it's not but oh just, yeah it's just so just, much fun exactly and it's one of those ones like like you're saying and where it's bad yes and you're watching it and it's almost like jaw droppingly bad at some points like the, like we're talking about with the doll where things are going on and you're saying, why are these people not affected by any of this? Like they, they see somebody laying there dead like, ah, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, this is how they're reacting to the, to the death of the, these, these friends, these very close friends. Um, <laughs> but, but it's interesting because it's doing enough, right. That you got to see how it ends. You know, there are bad movies where it's MST3K and you just pick them apart and, and everyone has a good time laughing at them. And then there are bad movies that you think are going to go that direction, but then you think you find yourself actually invested in the story. And yeah. you're like, geez, I really kind of want to see how this is going to play out. And this is definitely 
in the latter. One of the interesting things, though, is in those interviews, I don't know if you had a chance to, to see them, Josh, but they interviewed the producer. I did, yeah. Yeah, Sandy Horowitz. Now, I wouldn't say he's the most dynamic individual. Um, no. They spent the most time with him, and I think it's just because he took the longest to answer their questions. Um, <laughs> but... It was interesting what he came out and said that they had, uh, you know, he was part of this this small company. They had three movies in production at the same time. This was one of them. And he wasn't even paying attention to this one. He was sort right. of focusing on the other two. And and this um, this director who everybody just praised high and low, uh, it was Charles yeah. Philip Moore. Everyone was calling him Chuck, you know. Everybody in, in all the interviews was just praising him up and down that he had this great energy. He had this great vision for it. And this producer came out and apologized, saying, hey, wherever you are, I'm sorry, because you really did <laughs> do something here, you know, and that I was not paying any attention to it. I was paying That's attention so to the other two. I was ignoring uh -huh. it. But this director who I don't even know if he's done anything else deserves, obviously, from everything we're hearing, a lot of the credit for even making this movie as low budget as it was. I mean, this guy, you know, the, the producer says everyone lies about budgets, but he was saying they really did make this movie like next to nothing. Like, yeah, what I read was $500,000. Is that right? <laughs> oh, I, I, that's, that would, I would be surprised if, if it's a, that seems if high. it's a, yeah, it seems high. <laughs> It's, if it's a tenth of that, I'd be surprised. Well, I mean, I mean the, the only reason I would even say that's maybe true is it definitely looks like they built all of their sets, uh -huh. and there's a lot of makeup to do, a lot of special effects makeup. There was, yes. At, at yes. the end, you even have the character, just one of the characters looks like he's straight out of Alien Nation. Yeah, it's the weirdest <laughs> makeup choice. It's the only <laughs> thing that didn't work for me with the special effects makeup, because I just thought, what? what is this supposed yeah, to be? How did that happen, and why did that happen? I, I, I never could, could, I never quite figured that out. I even watched that part twice. <laughs> I don't know, but for me, if you like Evil Dead, if you like demons, but you want to see a really like low budget version of those, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Mixed with uh, literally, it's on the level to me. It's just above Troll Two because the the makeup effects are far better than Troll Two, but the acting and the sets aren't much better than Troll Two. Right. Um, wow. Man, I had a blast with this. If you like schlock, if you're if you're Cake Wolf, this is your kind of movie. Buddy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I highly, highly, highly recommend people buy this Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. And if I was giving it a number rating, it would be similar to how I rate like a Troll Two, like. It's a four, but it's a buy. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. Like like I did with Don't Open Till Christmas, which was not a great movie, but I would I would say, yeah, if you like that schlock, if you enjoy those kind of movies from the uh from the eighties, and I guess this like you said, even if this is ninety, this is an eighties feel and this is an eighties sort of uh, horror movie, definitely this is one you're gonna wanna own because I think you would revisit it. Um, but if you're not into those movies, please don't because <laughs> you, you were not, you're not going to, yeah, you, you're going to, you're going to come after us with, with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> I'm grateful. You guys told me about this. I hadn't even heard of this for some reason. I didn't even know about it. Like Josh is saying, that's one of the great things about vinegar syndrome is these are the sort of movies that they're saving. They did, they did the prey from last, uh, last episode and demon wind and, mm -hmm. and uh, both of them are, are winners. Both good films, but I would say Demon Wind is even a notch up for me. And the packaging is so cool on this. I love the yeah. artwork. 
and and both the vinegar syndrome releases they have the reversible artwork so um i don't know it's a lot of fun yeah i agree yeah while you guys were talking i looked up a, a couple of facts on it and i see that and i don't know if this reflects the packaging you're talking about it says that um this was released on home video in the U.S. in September of 1990, and it was known for its uh, 3D lenticular video cover. Does it still have that? It does, but you have to. Um, it's limited edition from Vinegar Syndrome, so the first 3,000 copies have that lenticular design. Yeah, that's cool. And then the other th- thing I read was that the fog that was in the movie was supposedly real. So that's kind of cool because you were talking oh, about that. What? Part. That's I, I don't, impossible. I don't, I don't buy the, the way it, the way it uh, is used. I don't think that's possible because you would have had to have the best timing in the world. Mm. Because maybe the fog not, at night. I would yeah, believe maybe, the fog at night. Maybe the fog. Yeah. Because there's a fog that just rolls in and I'm talking like three or four times fast. You know, wow. I, 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 and 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 they're moved into a different area. I don't. Yeah, that that sounds like a sounds. Like, I call BS on that one. So, I don't so know if that's, uh, <laughs> Josh, what does this mean? This the, the trivia point says this movie was shot on short ends. What's short ends? So when a movie buys film. And, you know, in the old days, they we they shot on film and film is only a certain number of minutes. Mm-hmm. And when they would finish a scene, if they didn't have enough in the canister to shoot the next scene, they would just stop. And so short ends are all those little bits of unexposed um, film <laughs> that were never exposed. And so what would happen is the lab would, when they would develop it, they would keep those short ends of uh, and then they would just sometimes give it away, sometimes sell it for really, really cheap. A lot of film students, like in the early '90s, you would hear, you know, that went to NYU would go to the lab in New York and get all their short ends and make, you know, shoot their film on short ends. So oh, neat. the the cool thing about that is some of these film types, you know, they're not consistent, so you get a variety of looks that could be really good or really bad depending on the movie you're making. <laughs> but right. yeah. I. I thought this looked great. I thought it was beautiful, yeah. actually. I agree, and it's interesting because in the in the interview with the cinematographer, he he mentions that um, about how this was shot on uh, on short ends, and it's funny because I think he said for this movie. I know he said it at some point, but I think he was talking about this movie because he was talking about his career. Uh, Thomas Calloway was his name, but I think for this movie, he got the camera and the short ends from porn star Ron Jeremy. <laughs> where he actually drove over to his house and picked up the camera and the short end films from Ron Jeremy. And that's what they used uh, to make Ew. this, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so the other end of that film, the long end as it were <laughs> the long end. Yeah, ex- exactly. But the cinematographer told a story how he was almost fired at one point because, you know, one of the short ends that he used, it came back. It was the, the lab called and said, Hey, we're getting nothing here. And it was totally black. And he was assuming, you know, everyone's assuming that it was the cinematographer's fault that this day shooting, you know, they, they had lost these sequences because they, there was no light. It turns out, though, that the short end was mislabeled. Uh, it was labeled at one speed. So they used it at that speed and it turned out it was a different speed. So, uh, so it, it was actually underexposed. underexposed yeah. Exactly. One of the many issues that might crop up when dealing with short ends. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. Do you know how when you're on IMDb, 
And um, it brings up other movies that are like supposedly in the neighborhood or similar. Yeah. I, I just thought it was interesting because earlier we were talking about the title of The Devil's Candy. There's actually a, a Fulci movie from 1986 called The Devil's Honey. And um, so hmm. that, that was just a funny little coincidence. But go ahead, Josh. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I was just going to switch gears to the next movie. So. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. The next yeah. one is from Arrow Video. Now, this does not come out till April 10th, and it is a two disc set. And it is Dario Argento's Deep Red. Uh, from 1975. <laughs> now, the two discs, is, what it is, is it's two different versions of the movie. There was an export version, and um, on the main disc is the director's cut. You know, Deep Red is a very well-known Dario Argento movie. I think it's probably second only to Suspiria, as far as the movies that you associate with Dario Argento. A musician, uh, played by David Hemmings, witnesses the murder of a psychic, and um, him and this reporter, who actually was Argento's, I'm assuming, wife at the time. It's Asia Argento's mother. This reporter, him and this reporter team up to find the killer. Uh, they don't set the cops up to be very intelligent from the opening scene. I mean, uh, you know, so I think that they figure we better get out there and solve this one on our own. While that's going on, the killer is taking out other people in very bizarre ways. I'll tell you what, th this release... Uh, and again, it's coming out April 10th. So this is a bit of a, a sneak peek, so, so to speak, um, has uh, some interesting special features on it. One of which is this half hour documentary. It's a special feature called Rosso Recollections. No, Profundo Giallo. That's what it is. It's, it's a visual essay by Michael McKenzie. And it really goes into deep red, the themes and the legacy of the, of the movie. And as I was watching this, I really started. As a matter of fact, I eventually, after watching the special features and checking out uh, checking out these discs, I had a little time, so I wanted to watch another Argento movie, one that I wasn't as familiar with mm -hmm. as some of his earlier stuff. And and I wanted to go to the ones that he himself. And there's an interview with Argento in this, and he lists, you know, I'm, there are some of my films I'm very happy with. He lists Deep Red, right. and he mentions Suspiria, but he mentions a handful of others. And I wanted to watch one of them specifically. An opera is one that he he had mentioned. Because one of the things you get when you're watching Deep Red and you're watching opera and some of the other Argento movies is he is, I mean, very, very stylish. That's what he's known for. These are highly stylized films. Don't yeah. always follow a story structure as well as maybe some other filmmakers were at the time. But I'm talking like a dynamic. There's a dynamic to these movies and the way the camera moves and the way it transitions from shot to shot. That's very impressive. I mean, almost to the yeah. level of like, you want to say art house, but Argento's not that way because especially, and especially like in opera and in this movie, there's violence and it's, and it, it's, you know, it's shocking at times. And I think it's I think it would be interesting if we were to do an episode on Italian horror from like and I don't even know if it would be one episode, to be honest with you, from like the 60s to the 80s, just following it through from from Mario Bava's, you know, Black Sunday straight through to the late 80s, uh, maybe even into the early 90s just to see. Um, because, you know, you had Argento and Bava working and these these are artists and they're making these very artistic films. Then you get into the later into the um, late 70s and into the 80s. You had Fulci and uh, Diodato with the Cannibal Holocaust, where, which are just very, 
you know, gritty sort of in your face. And, I, and, and you know, it's not fair. I, uh, Fulci had some art to him, too. You know, he had some artistry there as well. It would be a very interesting comparison to just follow this all the way through, especially when you look at Argento, because with as, as strong as these movies were, I mean, you watch them and you're like, wow, these are really impressive. What happened to him? I mean, his later films are kind of a mess. I think what it is for me is he was always accused of being style over substance. Right. And, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think that for him, the style is the substance and he is showing us images in a different way than a lot of filmmakers do. He's, he's, his camera's completely subjective and he, he captures ideas that you rare. I mean, he is a true, filmic genius I, there are yeah. a few filmmakers on his level that have ever lived in my opinion i think he just he is able to do something that no other visual storyteller can do but i don't because of that i don't think he's that interested in narrative i think he's interested in visual storytelling is even a bad way to put it because i don't think he's that interested in storytelling to some degree well, sure. he's 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 interested in visually communicating you know, a psychological Mm -hmm. experience. And I, and I think in a film like deep red, it's a little more straightforward. And even we get into Suspiria and stuff, it it becomes even less straightforward by the time we get into his movies that were coming out in the early two thousands. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think of some of those films that I've seen and I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, it's hard to believe the same guy who did, Deep Red, Opera, Bird with Crystal Plumage, uh, those yeah. movies is the same guy who was doing Do You Like Hitchcock and some of these other yeah. later films. I mean, uh, and, and every time he comes out with a new movie, you're thinking, hey, maybe this is a return to form and it just never seems to be. He just has different interests. I don't think he's I don't think his interest was ever necessarily in the the kind of giallo form. I think his interest was in the artistry he was bringing to a genre that had been done a lot. Even by the time mm-hmm. he made deep red, he was done making giallos himself. Really? He, I don't think he even necessarily wanted to make another one, but you know, he kind of had had some other failures and decided to return to this one last time. And really, you know, there was one of the documentaries, I think it was the one you were mentioning really talks about how this is kind of the giallo to end all giallos. And then he went on and made three more, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not for everyone, but I I challenge people to find a more impressive visualist yeah. in, in horror than Argento. I think he has made at least six horror masterpieces, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, there aren't many filmmakers you could say that about. And I agree with you. Everything you said, I agree 100%. But it's hard to... Like when someone comes up and says, like, I know, Jay, you're not a fan of Suspiria at all. Correct. Primarily yeah, because of not. the pacing, I think. And right. But, but yeah. Right. And but, you know, where whereas, you know, when you and I disagree on on movies, you know, we sometimes will get into a debate and everything. I have a hard time arguing that one. You know, it's, it's hard to tell somebody who doesn't uh, like Argento's movies. It, it's it's going to be hard to convince them because I think of everybody. that level of artistry, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last time with the weird, you know, I think there is, there's art and there's entertainment and you can, your interest in film lies somewhere on that spectrum probably. And yeah. mm-hmm. not everyone's going to appreciate the art end of the spectrum, you know, and, 
I right. I think that's fine. Uh, but I also oh, think yeah. I think it's fine to only appreciate the art end of the spectrum too, not care as much about entertainment. And I kind of think that's where Dario Argento sat. Like I think his his interest is in making a piece of art the way you would look at a sculpture mm-hmm, or a right. painting, and it doesn't necessarily have to have a narrative. It's just amazing to look at, you know. I I agree. I agree. And that, and you look at somebody like Mario Bava, he's a little different. He was a cinematographer and his movies are visually amazing. Um, but yeah. yet they do still have a story to them. You know, you look at some of his films, um, like I like I said, Black Sunday, you know, that's a classic. Um and there is a story that that's followed there along with the imagery. But you're right, Argento is working. I think he's operating on a whole different level. I mean, one of the special features on this, they, um, they, uh, they're talking to – no, I'm sorry. This was on opera. I watched the, um, the Blue Underground <laughs> release of opera, had this 38-minute yeah. documentary where they're talking to Argento about that movie, and they talked to the cinematographer. Now, the cinematographer was British. He had done um, Gandhi – and he uh, Argento brought him in specifically because he had also done a chorus line and he needed somebody to light that enormous opera house that he had rented out, uh, you know, to shoot this movie in. And this this cinematographer was able to do it. But he also used the cinematographer on a Fiat commercial that Argento Argento directed a commercial uh, for uh, Fiat, you know, this car. And you watch this commercial and you're like. This is amazing. The camera swoops behind the car, goes inside, scans everything inside, flies out the windshield, and is and and it's it's like the it, like the the cinematographer was saying that commercial was Im- almost impossible to shoot. <laughs> and this is Argento throwing throwing his 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 creativity into this thirty second commercial and coming up with something that was almost impossible to pull off. Did Julianne they, Moore die at the end of that commercial? <laughs> no, no, she didn't. Sorry. But it, it's, in, I just thought that even in that 30 seconds, he was able to pull something like that off. And it's just a commercial for a car. And if people haven't seen any giallos, I think this is an interesting one to start with as well, because it's, right. it rides the line between those that were just kind of old fashioned, murder mysteries and then the really crazy psychedelic ones that would come later. This is kind of in between those two things. I think, you know, it has a bit of the psychedelic and a bit of the black loved killer stuff. And, um, and they make a, they make a point how it's, it's almost, it's incredibly similar to his first one, you know, bird with the crystal plumage. Yeah. Well, he was, he was accused of kind of remaking bird with the crystal plumage over and over and over again, but I'm also fine with that actually. Right. Completely honest, but um, this is, I can watch them both and it wouldn't bother me at all. Yeah. They're fun to watch back to back as well. I think. And now this is also listed as a limited edition. So it is pricey. All right. Uh, At least on Amazon, it's, it's, it's definitely up there. Um, but they've got a fold-out poster. They've got six lobby cards that come in this edition, a limited edition booklet. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that comes along with this. Uh, this has a brand new restoration from the 4K scan of the original negative. It's got audio commentaries. It's got an interview and an introduction with uh, Claudio Simonetti from Goblin, which is awesome. Yeah. And the goblin music in this movie is crazy. I mean, sometimes I really, really love it. Sometimes it's really distracting, but it's <laughs> interesting all the time, you know? Yeah. And did you did you see the hint? Like, they talked about how this influenced Carpenter's Halloween. Could you see that in a couple? Because I thought I did. 
Yeah, oh, definitely. I could see where it in, I could see where it influenced them. Yeah, I thought so too. And and I think it influences Carpenter's lighting. I feel like is uh, very much influenced by Argento. And and Carpenter and Argento are two of my favorite filmmakers who use yeah. this kind of lighting like this. I, I mean, I think it's gorgeous. My favorite aspect of this disc is actually you can get the English spoken version, but it's this high, weird hybrid version. Did you see that, Dave? That's the one I watched, actually. Yeah. It's yeah. the English-Italian hybrid. So uh, Deep Red was shot with the cast speaking English and post-synced into both English and Italian, but mm-hmm. um, they created this other shorter export cut of the film and no English audio exists for the scenes that were removed from the shorter export version of the movie. So if you watch the full length version here, it's entirely, you can watch it entirely or in Italian, or you can watch this hybrid version, which uses the original English and then Italian and all the scenes where those English scenes didn't exist. Anyway, it was a really right. fun viewing experience because you'd be watching it in English and all of a sudden the next scene would just switch to Italian. <laughs> it was right. amazing. out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. And also, also another really cool special feature on this is there's a shop in Rome called Profundo yes. Rosso uh, run yes. by uh, Luigi Cosi, who was a filmmaker um, and Argento helped put this together. Not only do they sell, I guess what would be DVDs, posters and whatnot on the top floor in the basement, they have a museum with a lot of cool props from Italian horror and Italian yes. movies in general. They have, they have the rhino's head from Fellini's uh, and the ship sails on, yeah. you know, just out of the blue, just sitting in a corner. There's the head of the rhino from and the ship sails on uh, just very interesting. Um, I, I I want to get to Rome for, you know, I'm, I love history and I want to get to Rome for many reasons. This just made it one more reason that I go, I got to get to Rome eventually because I got to yeah. see this show. 70s cinema history is important too. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So I just have two quick notes here. Um, I, what I think, anytime I hear Deep Red, I always think about the epic battle that ensued on episode 24 of the weekly horror movie podcast. Um, there was a, a big four-person review on that, so if people want to hear that, you can go to our um, archives. And the other thing is, I think it was, Dave, were, were you the one that um, we're talking about how you didn't love more of Argento's later work? So you weren't dissing Mother of Tears, were you? Because... I love that movie. That's that's one of my favorites, actually. No, actually, I was not d- dissing Mother of Tears. I use that now as a coaster in my living room, and if I didn't have that, I'd have rings all over my living room table. <laughs> that, so I actually am a big fan right now of Mother of Tears. Oh, that is, Josh, have you seen Mother of Tears from 2007? Uh, no, I don't believe I have. Done. Okay, well, okay. I just want you to know that, that Jay criminal. was not a fan of Suspiria, but he gave Mother of Tears. What was it, Jay? What did you give that? I don't know, but I liked it. I mean, it's it's part I mean, three it was of at the least a six point five or seven. Yeah, it's part three of the Three Mothers trilogy, <laughs> okay. and I yeah. thought it was freaky and good. I mean, it was that's good stuff. I like it. But okay, I just I would be very interested, Josh, if you get a chance to see Mother of Tears, just to get your your opinion of that one because that i think was the last chapter in his in that trilogy that started with suspiria <laughs> that was the uh the, yeah. the last entry in it and uh it's a hot mess well <laughs> says dave but yeah i'm I'm, yeah, I'm pulling up my rating right now see if i can tempt josh into it and just to see 
Just I gave it an eight out of ten. Said buy it. That's what I said. I don't. I don't even think I gave it a four. You did give it a four, actually. <laughs> I did give it a four and okay. said avoid. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Oh wait. Yeah, I have seen this. It's good. Two thousand seven. Yep, it's good yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, I remember liking it. To be honest, I'm I'm a big fan of Aussie Argento, so mm-hmm. I thought she was cool in it. I liked her in it. Totally. Uh, I like I like Asher Argento too, but only in good movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to revisit that one. We really should do a Giallo episode, or like Dave yeah. was saying, a, a Italian horror retrospective or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because there's so much, it involves so much. You know, there's just there's so so much happened in that. Well, I guess it would be technically 30 year span from 1960 up to the end of the 80s uh, and into 1990. Just thinking about it today, and, and I don't think we could do it in one episode. It, it, it would almost have no. to be like a series of, mm. of episodes where we take like um, maybe a decade by decade. I don't know. I mean, it's something we could always work out. And we've been touching on, on Italian horror, you know, since the early episodes, you know, a little yeah. bit by bit. You know, it would just be interesting to sort of put a focus on it. And, and yeah. just look at it all at once. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, thanks for that tremendous coverage. It was great to have Dave stop by the episode there. We got you got a good hour and 15 minutes or so in there. So thanks, Dave. I know you got to get up super early. So before you run, though, will you tell the listeners where they can catch up with your work on the Internet? Absolutely. You see me at uh, DVDinfatuation.com, as always. Uh, on Twitter, at DVDinfatuation. Uh, Facebook, uh, I have a Facebook page. I have an Instagram also. Um, I have a uh, letterboxed account, which I, I know I misspelled. Dave, I looked at it. You PCO can change shot. that. You can change oh, that. Oh, I can. Oh, good. Then you know what? I am going to change it. Then I am going to change it. Um, and also other podcasts you on the Universal Monsters cast and the We Deal in Lead podcast and uh, other things coming down the pike i've been sort of uh, thinking of doing a dvd infatuation one-off podcast maybe for special features cool um uh, you guys i'll send it to, my only concern is obviously the the uh, the editing aspects i have never once edited audio <laughs> um and your experience so, you you'll appreciate the work that <laughs> the rest oh, of I, I appreciate it i always appreciate it whenever you guys send emails saying sorry i'm running a little behind with this i will never complain because <laughs> i know just from i did edit video before and a friend and i and i spent eight hours in a in a uh, editing bay and we came out with eight minutes of video by the time we were done so just from that alone i know how uh how the editing process goes so i you'll never hear me complain about if you guys saying hey i'm running behind like i I, it's gotta it's gotta be a it's gotta be a slog sometimes (laughs) yeah Uh, you know anytime i want to whine about editing i think of how how much editing josh does in his video work and i just yeah, I stopped complaining. I there's no way I could do video. I just couldn't. There's no way. There's a lot. Yeah. So, um, man, I'm looking over this uh, weekly horror movie podcast episode. It looks like Bill Shetty's not a fan of Argento, which I guess I could have guessed. I mean, I can understand. Like you were saying, Dave, I absolutely understand anyone who doesn't like Argento. It's not easy to watch, but it's yeah, 
I mean, it's not for everyone. For me, it's easy because I'm just like, "Ooh, this is a sumptuous experience." But oh yeah, and I loved it. Too. I mean, I like Deep Red and especially Opera. I wasn't as familiar with that, and I'm watching. I'm like, "This is the this is like this is a dynamic movie. The way it, the way the camera moves." And I was reading Jody Horror Guy's review of his Argento movies on Letterboxd, and he was basically saying like every Argento movie needs 10 minutes cut out of it. Like, you know, <laughs> well, mm-hmm. it's hard to stand here and argue with, with, with like with Jay, I don't, I don't have it in me to argue the Suspiria thing with you. I mean, I like it. I think it's, <laughs> I love it. Actually. I, I love uh, Suspiria, oh, but I can certainly understand why you don't, you know? Yeah. And, and it, well, and to be clear, to be my top 20 for sure. I mean, yeah. Here's- I, I get it. Well, let me just say, to be clear, for those out there who love Suspiria, I don't want to be totally dismissive because, yeah, like uh, there's a scene like I remember in the beginning that I love. And then there's a scene like at the end when we get a reveal that I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool and scary. But it's just, yeah, it's the wait to get to those for me. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for being here again. And uh, we hope you have a good night, buddy. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Take care. See you, Dave. Bye-bye. Okay, Joshua, I think you got some exciting uh, horror shorts to tell us about, right? You know, we don't frequently review short films, but people do send them to us. And after a while, just so many had piled up that I was interested in talking about. I thought, Mm -hmm. let me do a little horror short segment and we can just kind (laughs) of discuss them all at once. Let's do it. Um, The first one came to us around Christmas last year, and I'd have loved to include this in our Christmas episode. Uh, This released on December 6th of 2017, and it's called Gremlins Recall, and it's written and directed by Ryan Patrick. This one's more of a fan film, unauthorized Gremlins sequel here, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, In this film, there's a company by the name of Wing, and they've manufactured mogwais that can be adopted as family pets None of the side effects that we are used to having with a mogwai, but right. that, well, that was the intention, I suppose. Right. But that doesn't necessarily work out that way. So the, the whole film plays out at kind of a truck stop diner where the guy transporting these mogwais uh, stops for a bite to eat. And uh, basically all hell breaks loose within in this diner and, it's so much fun as a Gremlins fan. The effects, of course, are not at the same level as they were in Joe Dante's classic, mm-hmm. but they're pretty dang good for a fan film. I mean, they look awesome, especially the Mogwais. The the Gremlins, a little bit lesser than. They're still great, though. They're still a very impressive. Mm-hmm. But the Mogwais are so adorable, and I, it made me excited for... Well, they've been talking about this reboot for years, but Zach Galligan's been really pushing a third film that he would be in <laughs> on Twitter. If you follow him on Twitter, he's constantly like, come on, fans, let's let's get this third Gremlins movie going. And I, w- I would love to see that, honestly. Yeah, I think too. that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, so that's Gremlins Recall. You going to check that out, Jay? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I would like to see that. Because you're, you're not a huge Gremlins fan. No, I am a Gremlins fan, but um, you know, I it's it's a kid type horror movie, but I love it. I love it for sure. Awesome. Well, this next one is called <laughs> Tollbooth, okay. and it is by Martin Stocks, written directed by Martin Stocks, and it stars Andrew Shire as the kind of sole character. There are other people that come 
across him in the film, but he's basically, it's a one man show here. And um, Andrew Shire's character of Terry is working in a toll booth at night and it's his first night on the job. And basically the last person who had his job disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Right. Mm. And so the movie is just dealing with the boredom one would have working in a toll booth, the strange characters that drive by you when you're working in a toll booth. And then has the additional element of there might be something dangerous outside the toll booth. Oh, I love this premise. I've always wanted to work in a toll booth actually. I mean, you know, when I was watching this, I thought that would be kind of a fun job, but, um, you know, this is a great setup for a film. It feels like, it feels like the introductory 10 minutes of a movie is what it feels like Mm -hmm. because it has kind of a cop out ending where, you know, he's it's anticipation, anticipation, anticipation. Something's there at the end, you know? And um, that's the unfortunate thing. I, I found Andrew Shire so watchable in this though. I really liked him. Like I would, I would cast him in anything. I thought he was great. And there were some, there's some good filmmaking here. I think, you know, it, it's a little flat for me. Like it needs a little more going on, but um, I would like to see this developed into a feature film. Honestly, I think they would have to do, do it a little bit differently than they did here, but I love the concept. Like you're saying the setting, it's such a perfect setup. And I would, I would, this one's out in the middle of nowhere. That's fun too. But I'd also love to see one just like on the golden gate bridge or something like something like, I bet those are still creepy on a foggy night on the Bay bridge. Like I bet that's a scary place to work. I know um, there's all kinds of crazy things yeah. that go on. Well, seriously, so it, many weirdos that come by, you uh, know? Yeah. And especially since that, you know, the, the golden gate bridge, I mean, it's a, the site of so many suicides. So it, it has that, oh, that, yeah. that forest element as well. Um, okay. Sorry, uh, Martin, we're stealing this idea. We're making a golden gate bridge. That's right. Tollbooth movie. <laughs> Anyway, it's pretty fun. I'd recommend people check it out if if you're into that. I, m- more than even that, I would I would hope that Martin is developing a, a feature length version of this because I think it could be a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. All right, next I wanted to talk about a film called Smear. Now, um, <laughs> this is by Kate Huron, and it's a British horror comedy. It's it's mostly a comedy, but it's about. A, a young woman going in for her first pap smear, basically. Oh. And it's about her fear of kind of what that experience will be like and her kind of disgust and fear of her own body. And her and the film really gets into her psychology of how gross this all must be. <laughs> That's basically what it's about. But suffice hmm. it to say, there are some really fantastic practical effects here. There's kind of some movie makeup monster effects that go on. <laughs> um, imagine I can only imagine. Yes. Teeth. Meets uh, some kind of tentacle monster movie. I can't think of the right one. I, th- I think it, it, it definitely reminds me of like a little shop of horrors. <laughs> kind of a thing happening <laughs> yes so yeah i get you kind of fun but again it's very short it's only five minutes but i but i think it is a fun interesting film and i and i'm interested to see what this 
director will do. She's done some television with Idris Ilba, I believe I saw on her resume. So she's doing okay, but she's developing a horror comedy feature right now. And I, I'm excited to see it. I think she's a great filmmaker. Awesome. So that is Kate Heron and that is smear. Sorry, Kate. I'm sure I'm pronouncing your last name wrong as well. I don't know what it is about last names, but not it's not a good night for me <laughs> in terms of pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about a film called Larry. And uh, Larry is a short film that is the latest to kind of make that jump from short film to feature. You know, we had Mama that kind of swept the filmmakers up from obscurity into making films like uh what was the one you mentioned don't breathe <laughs> for instance yeah, yeah um this is one such film where amblin entertainment steven spielberg's company is going to be producing this as a feature film and it's pretty there's not much to it when you see when you see the short film you think huh that's interesting i wonder uh i wonder what it was about this that allowed someone like Steven Spielberg to say, yeah, let's turn this into, into a feature. I don't know if I necessarily would have seen that from the film. It's pretty well made from a script perspective. There's not a whole lot going on. Mm -hmm. The acting's fine. It's definitely well shot. There's some fantastic CGI, but basically in this case, it's a guy at a parking lot booth. So setting wise, it's very similar to toll booth, but this guy is in a, in a parking lot booth you know and he's on his his ipad and he's reading about this legend of this monster called larry who just wants to be your friend but then he thinks he spies larry <laughs> in the dark across the parking lot <laughs> oh wow and it, it's just kind of about his uh emotional reactions that he has to that and uh, you know there that we definitely see some stuff and they do a good job showing us that stuff. So cool. I, I mean, I could definitely see, I think it might fit into what you're worried about Jay of horror being tied to our modern technology. Cause I do think his tablet, his iPad plays a significant role in this mm. short film. And okay. I, and I wonder if that's the element, you know, as we, now at the time of this recording, we're on the precipice of the release of ready player one. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that is the thing that caught Steven Spielberg's eye is kind of the integration of this laptop into the horror, but right. Yeah. So that's Larry. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about bedtime. Now bedtime is actually a film uh, by one of our loving listeners, Jake Parker. So well, Jake's, Jake's awesome. A, yeah. Jake's great. And we always appreciate all of his interaction on Twitter and mm -hmm. and his support. Well, Jake has teamed with the website modernhorrors.com. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I retweet them pretty frequently on, on the HMP Twitter for horror news. They're mm -hmm. a great site. Um, and they are going to be making a feature film with Jake, as I understand, uh, the, their first film sponsored by the website. And so in kind of the run up to that feature film, they released this short film bedtime directed by Jake. And um, after, I guess this deal was made, Luke Rodriguez and Jacob Hopkins of modern horrors came on as executive producers to bedtime. Um, in my, in my understanding kind of after the fact, but uh, to kind of hype the release of, of their feature as well, or to maybe even to gauge the interest from their, their audience, but they they're releasing uh, 
bedtime. It's based on Jake's real life experience with sleep apnea, not sleep apnea, sleep paralysis. Oh, okay. which is something we've discussed on the podcast a few times. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's come up once or twice in the past. We've had some discussions about it. And um, yeah, that's what bedtime is about. It's it's a little horror short about a guy who's trying to sleep, doing his best to doze off, but he's having some issues, you know, and the <laughs> old hag definitely makes an appearance. So awesome. I thought it was fun. I, it, it's difficult because so little is spoken. I don't believe there's any dialogue in the film. And so it really depends on the actor. And he he does a decent job but probably a non-professional actor and and you want to be in, I think that would be my one criticism is I want to be in his head a little bit more. It's, but you know, you don't want to also fall into that cliche that I know you hate Jay of this person by themselves would not be talking to themselves. the whole time, right, right. Right. But so that, I don't know, there is an issue there, but I do think it's a great idea to make a horror film about sleep paralysis. Cause I think it's a, uh, it's just ripe. You know, it's a, it's a great yeah. topic for a and of course, we've seen the documentary, The Nightmare, deal with that. But mm-hmm. I thought this was a really cool interpretation of the old hag. So nice. I'd recommend people check that out. Keep an eye out on modernhorrors.com for the release of that. I'm not exactly sure what day it comes out, but it should be out soon. So, and I'm really looking forward to the collaboration on a feature film. And that's super exciting for Jake. So congratulations, buddy. Congrats to Jake. uh, (laughs) So that's it. Some horror shorts that have been kind of bubbling around and some interesting filmmakers. And I think uh, all of those came recommended to me by other film critics. So awesome. Good stuff. Okay. And uh, before we wrap up for the evening, Josh, thanks for talking about those. I just wanted to take a a little personal moment too, if I may, and uh, talk about some art. It was incredible. So our friend Zena, she follows on Twitter and she's really fun to interact with. I recommend people follow her on Twitter as well. Her Twitter handle is at some new passion. Anyway, she's a horror fan. She's and a Panic of the Disco fan. I believe that's oh, yeah, her. Yeah. I, I do. I follow her on Twitter, and there's a lot of Panic of the Disco tweets out. Oh there. yes, <laughs> clearly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, in a previous episode, I I have talked a couple of times about like experience I had when my dad died, and I was there in person and everything. And long yeah, story short, there was a one time there was a piano composition where I wrote a song that like was supposed to musically depict that experience basically and um yeah and she heard that and it resonated with her too and so she did the coolest thing i mean i am still just kind of reeling over this so it meant something to her and i really appreciate that Zena. that's so nice she said she knows this artist that means a lot to her and the artist goes by the name of a snazzy starlight or at least that's that's the handle there and um, this artist is incredible. Let me just let me just get to this part here where she describes this. She says, "I'm not sure if you're familiar with synesthesian. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, Zena." She said, "But it means that the person sees color when they hear musical sound." And actually, Billy Joel does that. By the way, he's my all-time oh. favorite musician. And um, apparently, this artist, Snazzy Starlight, will hear music and actually see color. And so what she did is um, she commissioned 
Snazzy Starlight to listen to my song. My song is titled A Day at the Beach. And what happened is Snazzy Starlight listened and painted her stroke, like with each note, put a stroke of the paintbrush on there. And, um, you know, because the song and the experience is so subjective and personal to me, it's hard to relay this to everybody out there. But um, trust me when I tell you, like when I saw what turned out from this, when I saw yeah. the, the painting, it was incredible to me. It was very moving and it, it kind of shook me up inside. And I just I was it was neat to see the music translated into a visual art form. I thought that was incredible and I'm very grateful for it. I, I love that they painted on this. Um, I'm going to have it framed and everything and uh, hanging in my house. So, so I love it, Zena. Thank you. And thanks to snazzy starlight. That's an incredible gift. Yeah. So as I, as I understand it and I, and I could be wrong, but so I did a little bit of interacting here with Zena because we were trying to get her the song and, and then get snazzy starlight the song and we're trying to do that without tipping you off to exactly what was going on but it was <laughs> hard <laughs> right i think that xena had heard you tell this story most recently on the movie moments podcast with oh, william yeah. rowan jr that's correct yeah that's and, true. and so i think that was the thing that was really but you uh, you have told that story on this show before mm-hmm. and i remembered and so xena was saying you know i'd really like to find a piece of music you know, the Jay loves that maybe could represent his father or something, you know, to, and I said, you know what, do you remember that song a day at the beach? You know, I think it played during our Babadook episode. And so I went back and I was trying to find it and you did play a little snippet of it during the Babadook episode, but <laughs> not in its entirety. And so mm-hmm. um, for our listeners, Jay did post this on Twitter. If you want to hear, it. is that okay with you? I think. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, beautiful what- song. Thank you. And what I can do if people are interested, I'll just put it in its entirety at the end of this episode if they want to hear it. And awesome. and and just, do you think it's permissible if I take a a photo of this painting and put it in the show notes so they can see it? I think so. Absolutely. Uh, okay. okay. I think. Yeah. I hope so too. Okay. And, well, Zena actually sent me a, a photo of it too, and so I have I have seen it, and it is gorgeous. And if you think about it with the song, it is touching. You know, yeah. it really, it really uh, is very evocative. Yes. So uh, the artist, they did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I it just means a lot to me. I Once again, I mean, <laughs> this, this horror community, the, the HMP community is just filled with tremendous people who do such nice things for us. And, you know, that's going to be in my house the rest of my life. I just love it. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Thank you. And Xena, I like Panic of the Disco too. So yeah, <laughs> shout out to Panic of the Disco. I know that, that that's probably what would make Xena most happy. <laughs> Heck yeah! <laughs> Their new video is pretty cool, inspired by uh, John Wick. So check that out. Oh yeah, now you're talking. All right, Joshua. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 143 of Horror Movie Podcast. We're grateful that everybody stuck with us through this. It was great to have Dave visit us for a little bit. So that was nice. Yes. Joshua, why don't you tell people what's going on with you and your other podcasts and stuff so we can know where to find your other work. Okay. Moviestreamcast.com, UniversalMonstersCast.com. I'm on social media at Icarus Arts. Please connect with me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. I'm also on Instagram quite a bit. I'm also on Facebook, but I don't really use it, to be honest. But I'd love to connect with you on any of those platforms and and chat. And really just uh, we really appreciate your support. 
We love your reviews on iTunes. Remember, if you leave a review, you will be eligible for a drawing of the Get Out and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Blu-rays from our dear friend Shane, the Maniac Cop. And uh, yeah, we we really appreciate your support. That's you know that's an easy way to support us. We of course very much appreciate our patrons. We very much appreciate people who buy the HMP T-shirts, but. Really, if you just spread, help us spread the word, tell a friend, leave a review, those things help us a lot too. And mm. not everyone can be Xena. Not everyone can get an incredible painting about uh, <laughs> the most emotional moment of your life. You know, and we're not necessarily expecting that either. Right. Just tell, a, tell, tell a friend who's a horror fan about HMP. We really appreciate it. And it goes a long way. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank, thank you. That's, that's absolutely right. And um, let me see, Joshua. Let me just ask you, too, one real quick question. So what's the next Universal Monsters cast episode going to be then? So we're still doing the mummy stuff. We're now (laughs) going to make our way through the the Brendan Fraser mummy movies. So what we did is we we started out with um, the original Universal movie, The Mummy, and with the 2017 remake and then we went through all of the classic universal mummy movies all of the hammer mummy movies then um yeah now we're gonna do the brendan fraser film so it's a lot of mummy but i actually i'm having a blast doing it you know i mean we kind of joke about it because how are we still on the same monster but that's just kind of the format we've chosen and since we don't yet know what the next entry in the dark universe is going to be or if there even will be one you know, the next one that was slated that was actually going into production was the Bride of Frankenstein remake with Bill Condon, who, of course, famously um, directed uh, Gods and Monsters mm. that is kind of monster-esque, but also, of course, just a Beauty and the Beast this last year and some other stuff. Um, that was pulled from production. He said the script wasn't ready, but we don't know if that's really just our canceling the dark universe or not. The Johnny Depp invisible man movie was slated. We haven't heard any more news about that. So we've been kind of waiting to start our season two because we weren't sure we want it. It was fun doing mummy along with them. And if their next movie was going to be the Wolfman, it would be fun to move on and do all the Wolfman movies along with mm-hmm. them as well. Yeah. But, um, so we're just kind of hanging out getting, you know, making our way through all the mummy stuff first. And then, we're going to do some bonus episodes where we have interviews with some monster makeup people. We've got the folks who did the makeup on the monster squad are going to be on the show. And I'm hoping um, Doug Jones, who of course played the gill man in the shape of water. I'm hoping probably shouldn't talk about it until it's confirmed, but he is, he's <laughs> expressed, he's expressed interest in being on the show. Wow. So that would be that happen soon. And those will be kind of some bonus episodes before we start season two. So that yeah, guy's amazing. Okay, cool. Thank you. As for me, I hope uh, everybody will check out movie podcasts weekly. We review new stuff that's in theaters that shows very silly. The big thing I'd recommend lately from there is uh, Darren Brown, the push it's streaming on Netflix. It's called the push. It's about social compliance. Hey, come on. What? what <laughs> I just you- heard a lot of people say that that's, that's unethical. That's on the level. One of our listeners said that's on the level of the Stanford prison experiment unethical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's there. And it's also <laughs> like, um, you know, those shock treatment, you know, where they had the shock experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah seriously. It's 
on one hand, it's it's definitely not a horror, right? It's it's almost like a documentary slash reality TV show, but it's also very unsettling about the dark nature of human beings. Have you have you watched the push, Josh? Yeah, you did yeah, watch my it. My kids, lo- my kids love brain games. Have you ever seen that on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We watch that occasionally. It felt like if you took brain games but added the game with Michael Douglas to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, so, I mean, and I won't spend long on it. I just say the premise is the guy wants to see if he can convince or, or like, persuade, like, through coercion, like that like that film compliance, um, a regular everyday person to commit murder, to kill somebody. And it's kind of yeah. like an experiment. And um, so, Josh, you weren't, you weren't engaged in this? You weren't? Oh, wow. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, I love the game. I love the game and brain games. So okay, that's, that's excellent. That, that was a compliment. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, just making sure. So yeah, like we you, lately we've been reviewing stuff like that on Movie Podcast Weekly. We've been reviewing things like Wild Wild um, World. Is that what it's called? I think also streaming. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah, it's a documentary and it's uh, pretty pretty wild indeed. Anyway, check us out at moviepodcastweekly.com. We'd love to have you. And um, we just encourage people to send your comments. Uh, you're welcome to leave us the comments in the show notes. As always, we have a great community you can engage with there and talk about horror. Of course, we're active on Twitter. Thanks uh, primarily to Josh <laughs> at Horror Movie Cast. We also have an email. Oh, you're doing good. Well, thank. Yeah, every once in a while, I get on there and put a really like you know forceful opinion out there, and <laughs> and and then I run away. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> so, uh, leave me to clean it up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we have an email address. It's a horror movie podcast at gmail dot com, and our voicemail is eight zero one three eight two eight seven eight nine. Earlier, we referenced uh, an old episode of the weekly horror movie podcast. You can find that and Horror Metropolis at our website. Um, you can go to our archives and check them out. Pretty crazy stuff there, Josh. Um, and we also hope people subscribe on iTunes. That's free. Leave us a review. That's free. And um, we want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. You can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And we also thank Kagan Breitenbach for his reworking his orchestration of uh, Fred's original theme. You find Kagan at KaganBreitenbach.com. Those will be linked, as always, in the show notes. And so next time, Josh, when we come back, what's our next episode that we can tease? Gee, I don't know. It's a dealer's choice, Jay. We've now switched to, we're going to do, we're trying to do, alternate Frankensteinian with themed episodes and take turns picking those themes. So... Mm I kind of, in my opinion, I kind of took one for the team by the weird being my choice, <laughs> but that's fine. I can live with that, and I'll and I'll wait. And three more, I'll pick my real choice. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So yeah, I guess it's you. It's up to you. What are we doing next time? Oh well. <laughs> so we we've been discussing one, but uh, maybe we'll keep that discussion going. And but it will be worth people's. <laughs> it will be. It will be worth people's time. If anybody's even listening to this now, um, I hope they know that they should probably tune in. In two weeks, Josh might bow out of that show, so he has no association or affiliation with it whatsoever. (laughs) 
but um, if, if you're still listening, please tweet us. We want to hear from all the people who are still listening. Hashtag pighead. Pigheaded horror. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, hashtag pigheaded horror. Okay. Yeah. That's, it, a, that's a long hashtag, but it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, it is worth it. I'm telling you. Pigheaded horror. <laughs> so, anyways, thanks for being here, everybody. That's it for episode 143. Thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>